Hello and welcome, and I can't quite believe it myself, to episode 10 of Movies in a Podshell. The podcast which takes one great film and couples it with a classic movie from another era. Maybe not this time, but it is a movie from the same era, and that's fine because we just do what we want on here. This week's pick, The Lost Boys. I'm Jamie, and as usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Fincher's most recent restraining order. You can call him Johnny. <laughs> nice. Thanks. How are you doing, Johnny? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm all good, thank you. Um, yes, yeah, I feel like we've again we've not recorded in ages, but it's because we're we're doing bi-weekly now. That's it. I was about to say as well. It feels like I've not actually spoke to you in ages, so it's quite nice to be able to do the podcast together because you've been pretty busy with work. Yeah, we, I, yeah. I think we've both been pretty swamped with work. Everything's picking back up again. The world's getting back to normal. Back on the road life, you know. Well, that's it. Yeah, you, you're under a duvet. Yeah, so we've noticed that in my recordings, Jamie's audio is always crisp and clear and beautiful, and then mine comes through and it's super echoey. So we said, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll just throw a duvet round. And then the practicality is that I'm now sat in a duvet for the next, I don't know, couple of hours recording this podcast, but hey, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, like, I'm I'm quite a hot person in general, like, so my temperature's always higher than <laughs> most, I think. Um, it's going to be interesting to see you shrivel up. Okay. During the podcast. Yeah, I look like I've just been sat in the bath for about two hours. But anyway, there we go. Jamie. Well, oh, go on then. I was going to link gonna it and I got screwed. I was going to be like, Jamie, what have you been watching? And then, then bang, you were in there. Well, that's a rarity. Yeah. Well, um, so go on, go on then. I'll, I'll let you do it. Come on. We'll let, go on. Go on, do it. Say so, Jamie, what have you been watching? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> well, so since the last podcast, I can't remember if I mentioned what exactly what I had been watching since the last podcast. So... I'm going to go, I think I've watched one, two, three, four, five. I've watched five films, not including the two films for the podcast. So um, wow. I've watched a film called Bunny Lake is Missing. Did I mention that last podcast? I can't I think maybe I might have. completely honest, but well, go for it. Anyway, it's a 1965 mystery kind of film. It's uh, I, have, I have actually the Blu-ray from Indicator. Um, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I'm so sorry if I have mentioned it, but basically it's about a woman that reports her young daughter missing, but there seems to be no evidence that she ever existed. It's actually wicked. I don't like, think I've heard about that one. That sounds cool. No. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. Is it noir-esque? Oh. Yeah, like, yeah, kind of noir-esque. It's kind of a mystery. Like, had, it's, Do you know what? It's a little bit like you can see where the inspiration came from, from uh, Psycho. Okay, cool. Definite inspiration from Psycho for me, I think. Yeah. Um, and then I did watch um, quite a new film called Spontaneous. Have you heard of that? No. What is it about? So it's actually, really, like, I actually really enjoyed it. It's had kind of sort of middling reviews. Like, a lot of people did like it, though. So um, it's basically about students in their high school, which that's me all over. Straight straight away, I'm, I'm invested. Um, students in their high school begin inexplicably exploding. Like, so they explode. <laughs> Um, it's like a horror comedy kind of thing. Um, so like there's a character, Mara and Dylan, and they sh- they're like struggling to sort of come to terms with what's going on. Um, and they know that each moment might be their last because everyone from their cr- class is literally just exploding. It's crazy. That sounds like a really good setup to an episode of Buffy, actually. Or X-Files. So well, yeah. would I like it or is it too horror for me? No, no, not at all. No, it's not. It's not horror at all. It's like, I think you'd love it because it's... Um, if anything, it's quite. Uh, there's quite a lot of sort of romance and stuff in it. So it's. Um, but there's a lot of twists and turns as well. So 
it did shock me like and but i loved it it's, it's more like it's definitely not horror like it's more it's just gore like as in people yeah. explode and there's blood everywhere weirdly um, i don't mind that kind of horror because i'm strange but it what what was that one on is it is it's that, on now tv oh brilliant okay i'll give that a watch that actually sounds like I, anything that's that buffy x-files-esque premise then i'm well up for it so that sounds cool i do yeah i, I definitely think you'll enjoy it then I revisited uh, one of my favourite films, uh, Whiplash. What can I say? Like it was, a, I think it was the second. Only the, it was only the second time I watched it, but it did cement it for me that the, the film is incredible, like unbelievable. It is, but it's such a difficult watch. But the um, I've forgotten the director's name. It's going to really frustrate me. Oh, Chazelle, Damien Chazelle. His use of uh, films building up to a, a montage is just brilliant. So his endings are a bit like, remind me of, you remember Nolan had those endings like the end of The Dark Knight with the speech and Batman running off and the dogs chasing him. And then in The Dark Knight Returns, you've got the one where they find the Batcave and then he comes up and it all kind of leads to that pivotal moment then fade to black. Damien Chazelle does similar things with it all leads up to, in Whiplash, it leads up to the drum performance. In um, La La Land, it leads up to, I really hope we talk about La La Land on the pod at some point, but it leads up to... I don't want to give spoilers away for Lion Land, but it leads up to a, a essential part where it kind of shows you how all the the whole point of that film has been leading up to showing where these people's lives have gone. It shows that in what a ten minute montage with like a musical musical motif. Yeah, that's incredible. And have you seen I, First Man? No, I haven't seen First oh, Man. Yet. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not mad into space films for some no. reason. Like, not space films, but like going to space. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I, I never get been it. Mad. Yeah. But I would say um, some of the direction, again, really good. And what I love is he these montages we're talking about, at the end of that film obviously leads to, funnily enough, the moon landing. And the way he he builds the momentum to that point, it's so cool. Like it's, I can't really describe... It's a really hard thing to describe unless you watch the films, but they just have a really good way of gaining momentum and leading to that one focal point. They're always so focused, aren't they? So Whiplash, it's that performance. And in La La Land, it's achieving your dreams and, and trying to make it in Hollywood. And then in Moon, it's obviously get to the moon. You know, it's... Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah cool. of course. So, so do you actually like Whiplash? Yes, no, I do. Um, yeah. oh, I f- but I, I find it a very stressful watch. Do you know what I mean? But that's, yeah, because of J.K. A, Simmons's character. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. But, but it's horrible. also just the way the shots are so tight, uncomfortably yeah. tight a lot of the time. And I and it's obviously it's done for a reason. It's done on purpose, and that's uh, why it's so good. I think it's unreal. Um, I then watched uh, the Warriors. Have you ever Did seen you? the Warriors? Have I made you watch the Warriors? No, we chatted about it briefly for the pod, you know, because we were going to link it to something. Fair. It might have been for Romeo yeah. and Juliet, actually. I oh, don't yes, th- it was. It I don't was, think it we was. did it, but that was the idea. Yeah, I've, I've rewatched it. It's, it's As good as you remember? Like, or No, well, I've, I'm, I've seen it like about 15 times. So, oh, yeah. okay, fine. Is, you is you knew like... what you were in for. Oh yeah, I grew up on it. Like I absolutely love it. It was another one of those films that I had on VHS back in the day, and randomly picked it up from a car boot sale as usual, like I always do. Unbelievable! Like uh, directed by Walter Hill, who people might know. He's he's done um, Forty Eight Hours, Red Heat, um, Streets of Fire, those kind of films. He's it's it's a really really good film. Like, is it the on. same Walter Hill who was one of the producers on Alien or not? What, as in Walter yeah, Hill and yeah, David yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's okay, that Walter cool. Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, your ears pricked up there, didn't it? <laughs> Got a Ridley Scott David Fincher reference in there. I thought, excellent. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. Happy you had days. to, didn't you? But it is, yeah. So it is the same producer. Um, he, he wrote, well, he wrote Aliens and Alien 3, didn't he? 
I know. Co-wrote it. I think he co-wrote Aliens because James Cameron, like he wasn't initially going to be the director, but he did a rewrite after he'd done Rambo 2. Rambo, uh, I don't know what the second one's called. So um, it was probably a co-written job. Okay, okay. But yeah. Well, anyway, The Warriors, right? It's it's about uh, a gang leader that calls all the gangs in New York into one place and um, basically the Warriors are a gang from uh, uh, Coney Island and they are framed for shooting the main leader of all of the gangs and uh, they've got to get make their way back to Coney Island which is obviously in, in New York it's like 70 miles away so and it's at night time and they come up against all these gangs and they've just got to get back it's absolutely brilliant um, so I'd recommend that to anyone that's also on Now TV HD version of it as well oh wow because um, I don't think yeah. I've ever seen a Blu-ray of it there is a Blu-ray, yeah. So there is a Blu-ray, um, okay. but it's also on now TV HD. So check that. And then the last film I actually watched today, which smashed my heart into a million pieces. And I never, you were talking about Whiplash being a tough watch. This is one of the hardest watches in a long, long time. And people might think I'm nuts, but the film Southpaw, you know my love for Jake Gyllenhaal. Hmm. It's um, obviously about a boxer, hence the name Southpaw. It's about a boxer called Billy Hope. He's the reigning middleweight boxing champion or light heavyweight boxing champion he's, he's had a really impressive career never been beaten and he's got like a loving wife and daughter um I, I basically hits rock bottom i don't really want to go into anything because the film's so shocking and it had me in tears about three times it's got rachel mcadams forrest whitaker and actually um his daughter in the film like an absolutely incredible performance from una lawrence who the, I've only ever seen her in uh, Bad Moms, but she's in The Beguiled as well, but she's unbelievable. Um, the film is unbelievable. He was nominated for an Oscar and st- somehow still didn't win. Um, so what's uh, is this available to stream quite easily now? Is this... Mm, so you can rent it. So you, okay. you can rent it um, for £2.49 on Amazon. Cool. Um, fully, fully worth the rent. It broke me. Like, it was a really, really difficult watch. There were some scenes in there that just... Just had me crying my eyes out, and I'm just like, no, oh my god! When a t- when a film gets me like that, that's when I know it's good. Yeah, because um, you're invested, and if yeah. the film wasn't good, you wouldn't be invested in the people. Name one film which you thought was bad that you invested in the characters. You won't be able to because. Well, yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. Well, there you go then, cool. uh, Johnny. It's your turn. What have you been watching? Uh, I'm... Oh, sorry, sorry. Can I guess? You've been watching any Maze Runner or Harry Potter or no, any I... young adult like Divergent, no. anything like that? <laughs> no, actually. I've been uh, slowly catching up on my Hitchcock stuff, but the most recent one I've watched, which is worth talking about, is Notorious, which was uh, with Cary Grant and Ingrid 50 Berman. 50 Cent? No, not quite. <laughs> Cary Grant and 50 Cent. That's it, that's it. No, I'm, I was just, I'm very late to learning about the fact that Cary Grant was actually born in Bristol and then went over to, to America and I'm just kind of obsessed with this i didn't know that yeah how cool is that just it's anyway very, yeah it's really cool i didn't know that chat for another that. pod but um notorious is classic Cary grant he's the suave working alongside the government has to hire someone in all goes slightly awry and uh again things things follow i said to jamie before the pod we were joking because it's another film that's four through aspect ratio and I feel like since the Justice League thing I've ended up inadvertently watching a load of films that are that aspect ratio even though I've not been looking for them but you just seem to find them but really good it's some good old school Hitchcock and Cary Grant's just so charismatic I mean I'm sure people who listen to this pod probably already know that but recently or fairly recently I watched 
to Catch a Thief, which was a more we me and Joe have chatted about it because it's Grace Kelly and Carrie Grant, which is just the best combination. They're just brilliant together. But this is early earlier Carrie Grant, and I don't know, just really like it. it it's he's uh, the original 40s leading man and to and to watch it in all its hollywood glory back in the day there's just something about that it's very of its time but i don't know i find it really interesting yeah i'd have, I'd have loved to have been around in that era just to like do those kinds of things like i just i'm f- so fascinated by the 40s 50s and 60s like i love it like you know me i hate the 70s same as you and i find it really hard with films and with the 70s films i really have to get a push to do it because i think we've chatted as well about when we chatted about frenzy it's really easy to just write it off and go 70s no but it's 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 i don't know that's i mean it's it's a massive sweeping statement from us to be like we hate the 70s there's obviously some incredible films in the 70s it's my yeah. least favorite era. That's all. That's what I I'm would saying. like to clarify as well, which is we have also then been told multiple times by people loads of good seventies films to watch, which have then made me think twice. I just think it's quite hard era's style to get into because it's just so. It seems the most dated, weirdly. Even like eighties has become like a pop cool thing to reference now. Even the nineties has become a pop cool thing to reference now. Sixties has always been a cool thing to reference. Not many people go and say, let's reference the 70s. I mean, in my head, I'm thinking Goldmember. <laughs> That's about yeah. it. But it's just not yeah. a popular time period because it's quite visually, it's when browns were in and, and wooden and beige. And I, yeah, it's just I, not, a cool, not a cool era to look back on and get excited no, about, really. But we must thank the 70s for, we wouldn't have, well, I say we wouldn't have, someone would have done it eventually, but the gore the exploitation films like we wouldn't have had any of that if it Texas went to the Chainsaw 70s. Massacre Alien yeah, yeah exactly personal favourite um, Star Wars you know all all this stuff came from that era and also it's kind of the push of old Hollywood technology reimagined in a new way with the um, the dawn of industrial light and magic which was in uh, mid 70s and then obviously Star Wars released 77 so I, I one thing I will say about 70s films that I do like is anything from that era that's photochemical photochemically processed and not so if the special effects were literally done on film and not done via computers i have so much respect for because the amount of effort it took to get it right and guys it's just you've got no idea like when i watch some of these behind the scenes on how they used to do it the processes it's just you can it, it took them so long so so long anyway johnny i'm like i'm mostly smiling because like I feel like, and this is really weird, I feel like I'm under the covers with you. <laughs> like, you know, like, do you know, um, have you seen the Punisher TV show where you get flashbacks yes. of his We've chatted about this a few times. And he's under the covers with it. Like, I've got that, that's me yeah. and you right now. Like, I feel like we're having some kind of strange, um, I don't know, erotic sleepover. That escalated anyway, so quickly. I was well, going to say I felt like Casper the Casper the ghost. <laughs> Casper the friendly ghost. Yeah, you're we, not friendly, no. No, you, you Casper, just Casper the ghost. I'm not friendly, apparently. So no. Right. There okay. So, <laughs> onto the. I guess is that all you've watched? Yeah, I've Notorious. got loads. Of, I've got loads of TV shows to discuss, but we don't talk about TV shows, do we? Oh, go on, quickly, quickly drop okay. it in. You can. What have you watched? I've really. Unless, just, I was going to say unless it's, unless it's anything Marvel, but. No, it is not. It is uh, Brian Cranston in Your Honor, which I think we oh, might have want to see that. Before. Yeah, really good. But one of our listeners in the pod, PB, mentioned to me that uh, it was affected during the the um, the production process because of COVID. So there's yeah. literally an episode which contains in the um, in the catch up 
a reference to something that, that was never shown in an episode and it's wow. just like a production fault and it really took me out of it and I was really frustrated but I've got one more episode left but I've really enjoyed it if you like Breaking Bad you'll obviously love it because you know what Brian Cranston's like he's just he carries it he's so good a lot of the characters I don't get on with but because he for me is just I can't describe his acting style in terms of he just he's it's intense isn't it really intense all the time but he plays kind of a, um, a fatherly character and you just I just buy into him. I like can't Malcolm in the it. Middle? No, not like Malcolm in the Middle. I mean, aspects <laughs> of it, but not not really like Malcolm in the Middle. I love, I love, yeah, I love Brian Cranston, and I would like him to. I'd like to see him more in like leading roles in films. Yeah, um, because I've, what, the only thing, the only films really I've seen him in, like off the top of my head, is like Godzilla. I was about like, to say, do you remember? So it was the final season of Breaking Bad, and then Godzilla came out, and they were like, everyone loves Brian Cranston. You can imagine someone at marketing being like, put Brian Cranston in all the trailers, put Brian Cranston in all the trailers. Spoilers for anyone who's not seen Godzilla 2014. I don't care. Skip ahead 10 seconds if you don't want to know. He dies in like the opening minute of the film. And all the marketing material was so much like, yeah, Brian Cranston's in it, guys. Get behind it. And it's just so ridiculous. I mean, are you gonna be, we are forgetting him in like quite a big role. I say big. Drive. But... Yep. Yeah, yeah, the mechanic drive. in Drive. Yeah, but again. Saving it's... Private Ryan. Was he in Saving Private Ryan? apparently <laughs> who wasn't in saving private there's so many amazing actors in that yeah. film and also black hawk down if you look at all the people who came through hollywood in like the next 10 years it's oh, all black hawk people Down's in black amazing. hawk down i love that film. oh any any but by the way he was zordon in power rangers he was no <laughs> that he, was rubbish no he was zordon was in the new power rangers in yeah the, that's what i mean in yeah, the yeah, original yeah. power rangers he played one of the weekly villains <laughs> what yes he did he wasn't in the suit because it's obviously the footage from japan but he right, like voiced go, one then. of the characters as brian cranston i don't know That's, what that voice was I love it. it's not brian cranston's voice put it that way so i guess have you, is that all you've been watching then your honor yeah I, I've oh okay cool that's fine that's fine we, we work hard he, he's we, we listen listen we we don't get no we don't get to sit down and watch four films a day because we've got full-time jobs and we still managed to smack out a pod every two weeks. Right. What film did we watch this week, Johnny? Tell me about it. The Lost Boys. Michael and Sam have just moved to Santa Carla, California. They're about to discover its secret. One of my personal favourites. I'm I'm so glad I finally convinced you to watch it. Even though you didn't need much convincing, but you know me, I'm like I'm, I'm a sucker for the '80s so bad. You say I didn't need much convincing. I've owned the Blu-ray for about five years and never watched it. So actually, really, yeah. So really, really randomly, my dad bought me a collection of Blu-rays. I don't know, a few Christmases ago or something. And to be fair, he picked really good selection of films. It was like Train Spotting, Twenty Eight Days Later, Lost Boys, uh, Leon, and something else. And for oh, some wow. reason, Lost Boys just got left in there and just never got watched. And then that's a shame. Now we've now we've seen it, but I absolutely love that film. I didn't enjoy it as much as Flatliners, which I've I've always been quoted the same before because Flatliners for me was a bit more uh, serious and took itself more seriously, but. 
that's not to say I didn't enjoy Lost Boys. I think it's got one of the best soundtracks, which I think is quite a, a popular opinion anyway. And I said to Jamie on the podcast, by far the second best pod, uh, the second best soundtrack, only to Dirty Dancing so far in the films we reviewed. Uh, okay. And bear in mind, we had Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in there as well, which is a great soundtrack as well. I love that. It is. So yeah. You speak to me about it. Tell me about how you first... I'm really curious. How did you first see this film? Is this another car boot VHS job or is it, you know... Oh, this, you know, this that's a really good question, Johnny. And it actually brings you into like a little spiral of a... I'm, I'm, do you know what? I've, I've forgotten about this because I was thinking about telling you about this. And I'm so glad you asked because it completely slipped my mind. So actually, when I, I think I was in year eight at the time. Or yes, year eight, yeah. Year eight. And um, I kind of like started, I started like hanging around with these uh, two girls that like I thought were really cool. Like, and I really, really fancied one of them as well. And they would always talk about like 80s films. So like um, Breakfast Club, I randomly got off a car boot again. Like all these films I get off car boots, it's crazy. Like my whole collection was, and, and you'll realize, you'll realize why in a second, why I managed the Lost Boys. Yeah, guess what? Car boot. The, the reason being is because the Lost Boys is one of the highest selling um, VHS ever from yep. Warner Brothers. And so it was on a car boot. It was always on a car boot sale somewhere. I just, I just kind of, they would, they would talk about the Lost Boys. I was like, no, I've never seen it. Like, like, oh yeah, it's Kiefer Sutherland. Like, and, and it's amazing. It's got Corey Feldman. I was like, oh, Corey Feldman. Yeah. From, and I was going to give you a little quiz later. Um, the two Corys. That. The two Corys, yeah. Um, so I obviously really fancied this girl, but we just became really good friends anyway. And then I, I watched it and just completely fell in love with it. You know, Unbelievable! It, it always makes me laugh when a lot of when you're a teenager, the films you watch are definitely inspired by numerous things. It's what friends recommend and that kind of stuff. But the first time I watched Twilight was because I liked a girl and she was obsessed with it and I needed to understand the thought process and there was another girl I remember who loved the OC and solely the reason I started watching the OC was to understand it then I ended up loving it anyway because the OC is the OC is amazing but it was just really funny how it was just like it's really weird how many things that I was like yeah that makes sense that it's worth investing the time to research that yeah and nowadays like when people recommend films to me I'm like yeah I'll put it on my list of 400 films yeah that's it, it. it just but back then like so like for for maybe any younger listeners that we've got like i'm 32 like johnny how how old are you now 28 28 yeah yeah so i'm 32 and johnny's 28 so we we kind of grew up with vhs anyway mm-hmm. like um and so i had a like a, a portable telly with a built-in vhs player on it did you and yeah i used to just live on it like that that was that was my thing like and I would collect VHS um, and yeah, go around car boot sales and stuff. Yeah, I had I had all those on VHS, and we used to, we used to swap them around school and stuff, like because there was no streaming services, there was only dial-up internet at the time as well. Did you it, used it to was... tape them off the TV? Like I yeah, used to, Channel Five yeah. used to have like uh, Delta Force. Like, did you ever watch? Oh yeah, Delta yeah, Force? with Chuck Norris. Oh, I used to be obsessed with Delta Delta Force as a kid. So essentially, they would be on Channel Five at like nine PM or something. So. Back in the day, guys, you'd use, a bit like setting TVR if you've got one, but you'd set the VHS for the times and you had to put it five minutes before it started and like five minutes afterwards in case it overran. And I used yeah. to record the Delta Force films and I used to record them on VHS and watch them back. Well, yeah, and I did the same with the Rambo films. Um, yeah. my, my nan used to, um, funny, funny story. I always got on about my nan, but like funny story. I used to stay around her house, like mostly on a on a weekend, um, just because we, we just had loads of fun together. Like, And we... 
so what we'd do is like I we'd stay up for the I'd stay up for the nine o'clock film on ITV and it was usually something it was always something like I remember this really vividly Die Hard or Gremlins or something like that and then what would happen is you'd watch the first hour then the news at 10 with Trevor McDonald would come on yeah and then I'd be like oh Nan like I'd be knackered at this point I'd be like Nan I'm just gonna I'm gonna have a little nap while the news is on will, will you wake me up like when <laughs> when the news is finished for the second part she's like and she was really Scottish. She'd be like, "Hi, son. Yeah, I'll wake you up for the second part." Like, and I was like, <laughs> "And so, like, uh, but then she would never wake me up. She would be like, and I realised what she did now. So <laughs> this is really funny. Like, she obviously just wanted a bit of peace and quiet because she, what she'd do is she'd record. We'd record the whole film anyway. She'd be like, "Yeah, I tried to wake you up, but you wouldn't wake up." Classic. I was like, right, okay. Like, and I believe fully believed her at the time because she was obviously like, yeah. But um, yeah, so that's uh. That was that was what we used to do, and you used to tape it on short play or long play, which is that was it for better uh, quality or not. Long play. That was it. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. I didn't care that I didn't care back then, but now I'm a snob. That's that's it. I mean, it's like if it's not 4K, Jamie will not watch it. That that is now a thing. Not what well, I was joking. I was if joking. it's no, so <laughs> if it's not if it's available in 4K, that's it. Then that's the only way I'll watch it. If it's not available in 4K, then I'll slum it. Before we with go any the re- with the rest of yours, <laughs> that's it. Before we go any further, I want to talk about Joel Schumacher, and I know we've already briefly talked about him in previous weeks, but I've watched all the behind the scenes on the Blu-ray, which I'm sure you've watched as well for this. He oh, so seems... have you got? Was... Sorry, sorry, I'm really sorry. Um, I was going to ask you this, so may as well clear it up now. What Blu-ray do you have? It's the red artwork, red with black and whites on the front. The, the but is it the Warner Brothers one? Has it got a sleeve of it? Is it like the Warner Brothers one? It's no got like... sleeve. Just war. I think it's just the Warner Brothers original release. Okay, cool. And it, but it's got quite a lot of special features, hasn't it? Loads, Loads. of special features. Mm. Uh, it's obviously caught Kiefer Sutherland when he was mid-break somewhere on 24 season five and he sat <laughs> on a chair outside in the yeah. desert, which is excellent. But no, I... Joel Schumacher was the kind of person where, as a teenager, when it's really easy to say, I don't like this and I don't like that, I used to say, I hate Batman Forever and I hate Batman and Robin. I've rewatched them both recently and we've chatted about this briefly. I still don't think Batman and Robin's great, but I know what he was doing. Um, I really actually quite enjoyed Batman Forever and I know we've talked on the pod about how he was initially trying to do something a bit darker, but what I love about Joel Schumacher's style, energy. Every frame has energy. You watch Lost Boys. Lost Boys is not a big budget film at all. Starts with a helicopter shot over the water. You've got that oh. banging soundtrack instantly. The moonlight. 8.5 million. Yeah. The moonlight's like, um, I'm saying yeah. tinkling, but it's just like reflecting beautifully. As it no, no, I get you. I know exactly what you mean. And then yeah. you get all this of the, um, it sets the scene because you see, okay, it's a seaside town. So if people go missing, it kind of makes sense. And they've got all the fairgrounds with the bright lights and neons. It's so cool. It's just such a, I don't know, it's just such a distinctive style. And we've talked about this for Flatliners, how it's got big, bold, blue, green, red, neon setting mood and Dutch angles or he just creates energy. And I think I, I can't, there's so many films if you watch now that even action films where the camera's not either moving enough or there's not enough energy within it. But if even if he's got the camera still, there's a lot of, of kinetic energy within the scene of people moving across or like bustling crowds and it's great. Do you know what? I really loved that last little 45 seconds to a minute of you gushing over Joel Schumacher. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, no, no, no. Like, I love it because it was it was so honest and you sounded so excited about it. And I, after, again, after watching all the special features and stuff and like a few, few little bits about him. I'm also, I, I also feel a bit bad that I maybe didn't appreciate him 
enough um, while he was still here because unfortunately he passed away. Like he was fighting yeah. stomach cancer for years, but he's a wonderful, wonderful man. And he's got a wonderful, wonderful filmography. And I need to, there's a few films that I need to dive into a little bit more. Yeah. But um, yeah, like we, he's, what did he do? He done uh, the number 23 with Jim Carrey, which I, I've seen it, down. but I can't remember. Falling Down is for me his second so I say second best film. My second favorite film from him is Falling Down with Michael Douglas. Incredible. Phone Booth, which I really enjoy. It's, Phone Booth Phone for Booth me is a, is a modern Hitchcock. It's yeah. someone set in one location essentially for a whole film. How does that pan out? Really love it. And again, he has quite a collaboration with Colin Farrell. He had a few projects with him, didn't he? He had a f- what? It was um, There's an army one, which I've forgotten the name of, and someone Tigerland. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that's that is Colin Farrell. Yeah, so he did Tigerland with Colin Farrell, um, but I've I've not seen weirdly St Elmo's Fire, which is definitely right up my street. I know it is. Um, that's with the usual suspects of um, Emilio Estevez, um, Demi Moore, Judd Nelson. Um, but then I have I've obviously I've seen Phone Booth, which is fantastic. Um, but I need I still need to see Eight Millimeter with Nicolas yes, Cage. I haven't seen uh, that. Time is it a time to kill? But no, I would definitely say that Joel Schumacher, as I said, as a teenager, it's really easy to say my Batman's dark and I don't like this. And now I'm looking back at it and I know his mandate from the studio was that the Tim Burton films were so dark, so, so dark. Like Batman, the second Batman film, I know it's Jamie's favorite. We talked about this, but so dark. And they were putting product deals in with McDonald's and Burger King for a film that was a 15 and it just didn't sit right. So they asked him to go the other direction and that's what you get with Batman Forever. But in terms of the the look and the visual style of Batman Forever, it's so different to any superhero film we get now. No one would be that bold or edgy or colourful or, or pushy. You just wouldn't do it. The only thing that comes close to it in terms of like such a distinctive style and humour for me would maybe be Guardians of the Galaxy, but like even not to the same extent, but just, yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. It's um, it it's brave, isn't it? Like, and it's yeah. it's, a very, it's a very distinctive style. This so and and I feel like he really does like he he carries that kind of style throughout all of his films. Hundred um, percent. And he so this was his fourth film, and he said that he t- like this kind of turned his career around. So this was like I think he'd done St. Elmo's Fire just before this. It's a, it is a a cult film again. Um, I mean, and he's quite like. Most of his films are cult films. So, like, Flatliners is a cult film. Falling Down is a cult film. Like, if you'd speak to average Joe on the street, they've never heard of Falling Down. But the people that have seen it love it. Like, yeah. absolutely love it. So this was his fourth, fourth film. It, he said it turned his career around. Like, doors flew open for him. And you can see that. Because after this, he did do Flatliners. He did go on to do Falling Down. The Batman films. Um, Eight Millimeter. Bad Company. Tigerland. Phone Booth. The Phantom of the Opera. Oh, I He's have got, seen that as well. Actually, that I I quite like that from a musical. Actually, but anyway, the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, yeah. not seen it, but um, but also, it's like it's clearly Joel's vision. So Michael Chapman says, "Can we mention Michael Chapman, the cinematographer?" Yes, unbelievable. Well, do it. T- tell people about Michael Chapman. Go for it. So Michael Chapman uh, is a, a pretty iconic cinematographer, really. And he said they were really he was really surprised to get. Michael Chapman on the film in general, like because he'd he'd done Taxi Driver, he'd done Rage and Bull, he went then went on to do The Fugitive. I think he'd done Invasion of the Body Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Scrooged. The man is like absolutely prolific, but he quotes um, as saying, "Is like, yeah, it's, it, it's, it was Joel's vision, though. It was yeah. Joel's vision." 
but many people also it, it, i feel like it was just the perfect storm this film everyone come together he said like joel said it was the perfect cast and it was the perfect storm for me can we do your favorite bit shall we just give a brief synopsis and then we can start talking a bit more about the characters because i just want to gush over keith Sutherland as david but let's let's oh, actually do it. my no. favorite part of the film no 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 brief brief synopsis oh. about what the film is we haven't actually oh, actually oh my favorite bit about. Okay, right. So, yeah, I mean, we haven't. Like, so, I mean, I'm sure if you listen to this episode, you've seen The Lost Boys. Yeah, true. Why would you be here otherwise, unless you love me and Johnny? Which, I doubt it. Anyway, <laughs> the film, it's a vampire film. It's a, it's a teen vampire film. And you're probably thinking, what the hell? So, it's basically about a mum and her two teenage sons, and they move to a coastal California town, um, which is... I can't remember what it's called. It's, actually, it's a fake name. I think it's, San, it's. It is a fake. Is it Santa Cara's the fake? Santa Carla, yeah, Santa Carla right? or something Sorry. like that. Yeah. I feel like that's a real name. So yeah, and so basically, it's it's over. They they re- they arrive and they realize it's like overrun by like bike gangs and like just hipsters. It um I'd I'd it's it's the other side. They drive in and the other side of the sign. So the sign says "Welcome to Santa Carla." They turn around and the other side of the sign says "Murder Capital of the World." That's it. And so like. So, so the film is basically like the, the place is overrun by vampires, missing people everywhere. There's like it keeps like banging on, like they keep showing photos of these like missing, missing people all throughout all throughout this place. So I wrote in my notes, this it feels really hipster. Joel Schumacher's he's created a place that feels separate from the rest of the world. Yeah, I mean he he taps into me, uh, taps into for me subcultures. So you've got the the punk aesthetic, you've got the uh, the surfer dudes on the beach. It's all it's all quite categorised. And then you've got the comic nerds. Yeah, it's know? Mean Girls. It's like a, Mean Girls a, have a like ripped bit. like yeah yeah. And it's essentially we we are seeing this place for the first time through the eyes of Michael and Sam, who are the two brothers. So Jason Patrick plays Michael, Corey Haim plays Sam, and essentially they've moved because their parents have divorced so they've moved in with their grandpa and i love the grandpa because when they get to the house he sets all these rules such as well it's stuff in the fridge don't don't look at this don't touch that we don't do this around here do you have a tv no i have the tv guide but i don't actually have a tv and just yeah you don't need it you don't need a tv (laughs) you've got a tv guide like he's a really quirky character and it kind of gets you set up but he says to his wife at the start uh, sorry to his daughter at the start to lucy you're the only person who i know who's been divorced and comes out worse off (laughs) it's just like exactly and a good setup do you know what yeah and that sets up her character because i think she's a really important character right uh diane west plays um uh what's it i can't remember the mum's name actually like Lucy, yeah. So Diane West plays Lucy, and you'll know Diane West from. She's had a fantastic career. She's been in uh, all sorts: Edward Scissorhands, um, Footloose, The Birdcage, uh, recent stuff as well with uh, Rosamund Pike. Um, I care a lot, and The Mule mm. with Clint Eastwood. She's had a fantastic career. Um, she is brilliant, and the, it sets up her character like because she's such a wonderful, lovely woman. Not one bad bone in her body, and it really does. Sh- it shows that in many scenes about just the kind of person that she is yeah she's just trying to do the best for her family essentially by by making this move and she goes to work at the video store and at the video store is is sometimes harangued at night by these 
in goth getup guys or well punk sorry not goth it's it's like a punk setup so we meet Kiefer Sutherland as uh, the character David now the first scene actually we're jumping ahead a little but we're not doing a play by play but it's important to show we've I gushed over the intro about how much I love they show the peer setting and all this people are strange people are strange that's it that's playing as well like, and it's amazing we get this amazing um they're on a carousel, so we see the vampires. We don't know the vampires yet, but we I've just talked to you about how excited I was about the kinetic energy and the movement in Joshua Macker's introduction. You've had your camera flying over the helicopter. You've had all these pan shots. And then suddenly, you're on a... Um, what's it called? I've just said the word. I've got it. Carousel. Carousel, sorry. You're on a carousel. And Kiefer Sutherland's really creepily with his gang. He, like, goes straight up to this girl and strokes her face in front of her boyfriend, essentially. Yeah. And he's picking her as a target because we, we know as an audience that he's a vampire. So he's essentially picking his his kill. And him and the gang get removed off the carousel. But what's great is the parallax effect you get from the camera spinning around. It's quite otherworldly and a bit bit dreamy, isn't it? And the carousel yeah. music's all a bit strange and bit not quite right. They get kicked off. And the next thing we see is that couple then drive away in their car at the end of the evening. And we see, much like in Jaws, we don't see the shark. You see it from the POV as the vampires yeah. jump down and rip the roof off the car and go in. And and again, it's not particularly violent, but we just, it's quite, it is. You definitely, you get the picture. Yeah, you, you know what's going on. I love it. It's great. Open, again, I know I always reference Buffy and Buffy is very much because of all these things. But again, it's it's a good opening sting to get you in and, and set it up. Yeah, that oh man, like it it just it brings so much nostalgia for me. Like when hmm. that opening scene with Kiefer Sutherland, Alex Winter, um, he was the youngest of all the you know, you'll know everyone knows Alex Winter from um, Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted, yeah. But this is this he was um, this was his first role out of acting school as well. Kiefer Sutherland was only eighteen years old. Apparently, um, he was wasn't he seventeen when he auditioned, and he had to be eighteen, so he lied about his age or something. Right, I'm sure that was that, in no. one of the documentaries about he had to lie about his age to get through. Yeah, when I think of Kiefer Sutherland, I think of him in this role. It's really it's an, such an iconic look. He looks incredible. Like he, there's, he's perfect. I couldn't ever imagine anyone else playing this role. Um, it's what I think about when I hear him. Like, and it's, it, and again, it's probably because of the age like yeah. I, I was when i seen it like i've never seen someone that suits a receding hairline so much in my whole entire life <laughs> yeah <laughs> incredible like he just he's he's incredible and his whole demeanor the, the whole thing like he's yeah don't forget um, if you've got the acting pedigree of your father with donald sutherland in there it's it can't go wrong because he's you've got no choice have you? he's just so good as well but anyway i will uh, as as i've already mentioned briefly jamie's taken the mickey out of me for for um, team stuff Donald Sutherland in Hunger Games is brilliant. Honestly, he is like... Well, he's brilliant in everything. Chewing he's probably the scenery, one of the... just absolutely loving it. Honestly, he is so good. So, him and so Woody, good. Him, him and Woody Harrelson are the only things that save that film. Oh, my God. Woody Harrelson um, as well. Love him. But anyway, yeah, let's yeah. not go on a Woody Harrelson tangent, even though we're in the 80s. I was just going to say, like, the video store you mentioned, that like, the, this mum, the, mum, the mum gets a job in a video store with... Uh, a guy called Max, who's who owns the video store. I love this video store because it just reminds me again. This nostalgia. film is pure nostalgia for me. It just reminds me of being in video shops, like the smell of it, um, the look of it, and it. You know, we're never ever going to get it ever again, it, unless it comes back like um, record shops. You said to me yeah. the other day, "Well, would you ever think about collecting VHS?" 
Noah would not. I was joking, but Noah, anyway. Were well, you joking? Okay. Yeah, I was joking. So, so essentially, Jamie Jamie loves his criterion, and, and, and I know why. But it just... I, I said to him, you know, with your love of physical media, would you do the <laughs> ultimate jump and go back to VHS? But Jamie's of the idea of it's not for him. It's not for him. And it takes, up, you, well, what, takes up too much space. I said to you, That's the main issue. Does, but I said, I said to your dad, I said to you, like, what does your dad say about records? Your dad's a big, big music fan. Like, he, he turned what around does he say and about said, records? we spent however many years trying to get away from LPs to get better audio quality with cassettes and with CDs. And then suddenly people want to go back to it sounding worse. And he just couldn't get his head around it. He said, why? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. So, so take that and apply it to VHS. And also, as much as I love VHS, why am I rewinding a VHS? What's sitting there <laughs> rewinding a VHS for? Like, give me a break, mate. I would rather listen to an LP than watch a VHS, though. If you said yeah. to me, oh yeah, because it's distinctive a physical media, I'd yeah. say yeah. the analog sound of vinyl has a lot more to offer than the all the limitations of having VHS. I don't. Yeah. Could you get surround on VHS? I've no idea. Probably not. That, well, it would be it would be a uh, fake. It would be like virtual surround. Yeah. Yeah. It'd I've be terrible. No idea. I can't remember because to be honest, back then I didn't have surround. I just had your well, TV. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people that still collect VHS, and some of them go for like silly money now, and it's it's yeah. bizarre because I sold I, I sold my whole VHS collection right, and there was hundreds there. I sold the whole lot when VHS was still valid, um, for eighty pounds, <laughs> like <laughs> musicmagpie.com. Like no, well I think I, I can't remember where I sold. Anyway, right, we're, we're talking about the Lost Boys. This so they they arrive in this they arrive in this town the first night. They all go off and do different things. The mum goes to the, the video store, meets Max, and gets a job. Um, the brothers, they they go off as well. And um, they see, well, his brother sees... The, well, so hold on. This is really let's, important. Let's chat about this. <laughs> the, the, Open it. The, el- the eldest brother, Michael, is at a concert. I'll let Jamie describe the concert for you shortly. But Michael spots Star, and it is very stalkery. He is full on just staring at her. There is no like, yeah, it would no that subtlety. There's, that would not fly nowadays. No, it very much reminded me of Anakin staring at Padme throughout t- Attack of the Clones, where it's like, "Ooh, you look like a serial killer," slightly. But as someone said, you should never take romantic advice on relationships from 1980s films, anyway. But yeah, so oh, yeah. literally, this character, um, sorry, um, Michael is just staring at Star. And she, she's staring back. She is staring she back. She is staring. And, she, and, no, and, she glances back and then yeah. starts to walk away to get his attention. But please yeah. describe what is happening on stage while they are dancing in slow motion. I don't know what I can describe for you, right? <laughs> um, but there's uh, there's a band. Pl- it's like an outdoor concert, like, and there's a band playing, and there's a man, and so he's a he's. Oh, I can only describe him as a, a muscular, oiled up sweaty saxophone player that's like singing and playing saxophone and it's incredible and and so this man right um his name's i think his name's timmy uh capello or something like that and he was tina turner's saxophone player right okay okay but he he's he's essentially as every note he plays he thrusts yes basically is the only way i can describe it and he's just a force of nature on stage he's the kind of thing if you're there live, the energy must be. Oh yeah, I, I, when, every, every t- yeah. Every time I see this, every time I see this scene, I'm like, oh, I forgot I was attracted to men. Like <laughs> he's, he's like he is like just oh my good goodness. And 
like uh, just go and google it just just go on youtube um the lost boys saxophone player un- unreal and it leads me what, what are you gonna say johnny you no gonna i was, I was gonna say jamie put a post on his instagram about it on his story the other day actually well, well it leads me on um so uh, one of my friends kim writes in a friend of the show as well um you can go and find her at kims.cinema.escape on instagram um she says if lost boys was to be remade who would you see who would you want to see play the greasy saxophone man so she describes him as greasy and i can <laughs> i get greasy. it like I, I, it's as greasy as it gets he's oiled up so i wrote in my notes here before this question came in how out of context is the topless, muscly sax player who looks like Shawn Michaels from wrestling? He does look like Shawn Michaels from WWE. Doesn't he? Yes. I haven't stopped thinking about him since um, like 2001, around the time when I saw the film. To answer Kim's question, though, I have. I've got two choices, right? I've got two. So I've got, a, I've got, one, I've got one specifically for Kim because I know she has a certain affinity towards um, a certain film. And so when I think of this guy, right, Imagine this. We're going to replace him nowadays. We're going to replace him with Mickey Rourke Great from The Wrestler. Shout. Fantastic. Imagine shout. Mi- Mickey Rourke from The Wrestler. Slightly like, you know, that old look when, like, they used to be muscly and they still kind of are, but they're a little bit flabby. That look. And then <laughs> Mickey Rourke from The Wrestler. I think he looks wicked doing that. Yeah. And then yep. my second one, right, is kind of along the same lines. Um, Again, this around this time now, the age of this person right now, Sylvester Stallone. I want to see him topless, greased up, and blowing that sax and singing. That's what, what I want to see. You've gone left field from where I was going. I good. I, That's good. That's. Yeah. I'm glad. We've, I'm glad we've gone different directions. We've got Tell me about yours. So the most obvious one is it's got to be Chris Hemsworth because he's just as shredded as that guy is. Oh, but, it's so obvious, no, though, no, no. isn't it? It's That's obvious. my obvious pick. That is my obvious pick. So we'll right. get away from that before Jamie starts complaining. And I'm then, not complaining. <laughs> the number two choice, John Cena. John Cena loves <laughs> taking the mickey out of himself. He just, like, he always, I don't know, challenges what people's perceptions are of him. And he's but, just a but, good you know, but he's just a good sport. And I know if someone you know said he to him, is. hey, do you want to do the, the Lost Boys, uh, you know, saxophone? Yeah, why not? No, yeah, no, no, he would. I'm, I'm sure I he would. That. But, but there's one massive issue with that, John. What's that? No one would be able to see him. What? Oh, God, Jamie, you went Yes, there. we're there, we're there, there we are. I've never forgotten the John Cena rap when he walks in. He's like, my name's John Cena. Uh, Cena. You, I wouldn't want to be you. And then he starts doing the hand movement and all this stuff. Anyway, Does he? Know. I don't yeah, know. It's really bad. Anyway, right, enough, enough John Cena chat on the pod. Well, anyway, right. It gets. It does. Like the 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 film gets right into it from there, doesn't it? Because so Michael literally starts following Star. Yeah, um, which does not age well. Let's be honest. But anyway, we'll go with it. Well, the, I mean, there's certain things about the second film that doesn't age well either. But nothing ages well nowadays, does no. it? So what we can say is that what's the what's Michael's brother's name? Sam. So Sam. Sorry, I, I, I'm asking you, which is hilarious. Like, oh, it's, it's one of my favourite films, but I can't remember that's what funny. his name is. Yeah, that's it. Crucify me, listeners. Um, Michael goes off, uh, follows Star, and then Sam goes off into another one of my favourite shops in a film. A wicked comic shop. So good. Run by the Frog Brothers. Now, the highlight of the film for me is the Frog Brothers. So you've got 
uh, Edgar Frog is the guy played by Corey. Is that right? And then you've got yep. Alan Frog played by. It says here I've actually got Jameson. Jameson. Jameson Newlander. Okay. Yeah, Jameson Newlander. Yeah. So Edgar and Alan. So a reference to Johnny. Edgar Allan Poe, who used to do like horror, well, stories, short yep, stories, that kind that's of thing. It, yep. If you've seen the Simpsons episode with Lisa's science project being the beating heart under the floorboards, that is what the reference is to. That's probably a very niche reference. That's a very early Simpsons episode. Anyway, Corey as Edgar Frog is my favourite because uh, Schumacher said to him, I want you to be like uh, Sylvester Stallone. So he went and watched Rambo. He lowered his voice to talk like this when, and he's his character and his brother are basically obsessed with the fact that there are vampires there. And at the start, Sam thinks they're crazy. What are you talking about? Get over yourselves. And then actually, what happens is Sam realizes that the vampire thing is true. So Edgar's character, so Corey's character Edgar, starts advising how you kill a vampire, how you trace them, and he knows all the folklore and this kind of stuff. And it's he plays it dead serious so he's he's hi i'm cory and uh, sorry i'm edgar frog and we'll help you take care of these vampires and it's just great i love it but it's it's incredible and he has and... the full-on rambo like red t- um like belt around his head he's gone he's committed absolutely and so this is really interesting so so johnny um it's quiz time for you unless you didn't know uh-oh. Now, there was a film from a year before with two characters, two actors from this film, and they worked together on a film um, quite similar in terms of the, a group of boys. What was the film? Goonies. Go on. Nope. No? Nope. No It's idea. not Goonies. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I've shot you down so hard there. It wasn't the Goonies. So there's, there's two characters... In the film, two actors, they worked together on another film the year before. Very famous film. Um, I'm going to give you a... Would you like a clue? Go for it. I don't think I'm going to get it because I'm terrible at it. Based on... No, you won't. You might. Based on a Stephen King novel. It's oh, going to throw you off even it? more. Nope. Okay, I'm going to tell you the two actors and then I want you to tell me what the film was. So the two actors were Kiefer Sutherland... He worked on a film with Corey Feldman the year before. What was the film? I have absolutely no idea. I'm oh. just going to hold my hands up right now. Go for it. Tell me, tell me. Stand by me. Come on, Johnny. Oh, one my of God. My, one with of my Will Wheaton. Uh, yes, Will Wheaton. Yep, yes. it is. Yep, Will yep. Wheaton. Yeah, so there you go. So, Corey, oh, so Joel okay. Schumacher got Corey Feldman in, right? Corey Feldman was acting like Corey Feldman. Then Joel Schumacher was like, no, you two... That's what he said. Like when you said, he, go go and rent some Sylvester Stallone and Chuck Norris films. And he said, you two are Marines. That's like, it. And he said, act like Marines. And it was only like kind of halfway through the film when they realized, like Corey Feldman and uh, Jameson realized just how funny it was. Like, yeah, it was hilarious. It. And they are like so funny throughout all of this. And that was when like Joel Schumacher said to the, like, w, like WB, like Warner Brothers was saying, oh, what, what what's the film like? And Joel Schumacher's like, no, they were saying, is the film a horror or a comedy? And Joel Schumacher was like, yes. Yeah, because it, it's very much both, which is, as, as we said, like stuff like Buffy very much toes that line, doesn't it? That kind of taking itself seriously, but also not afraid to make a joke about itself. Every, you know. Absolutely, yeah. And and I guess, I guess like, from, from this night, the whole story is born. Like, Michael tries to chat up um, Star, and, well, I say chat her up, well, he talks to her and success, he's successful in it. He's, he, she wants to go with him. And then the vampires yeah. turn up and they're like, 
no, you're coming with me. Like Kiefer Sutherland says, uh, you're coming with me to yep. a star. Um, and, and then they have this race. They cue an epic bike ride, which really weirdly reminded me of Rebel Without a Cause. Because... Okay. Oh, yes. It, yeah, yeah. Very, because, it very much so, is, yeah. For people who've been listening since episode one or very early no, doors of the podcast. episode three or okay. four maybe early doors in rebel without a cause they film are film forager this is for film forager this, because she listens to every single episode that's it so there's a um there is a scene in that film where the teenagers are literally preparing to drive their parents cars over there over a cliff face and it's a game of chicken of who can jump out the car first and then in that film it goes horribly yeah. horribly wrong however in this obviously we know that keith sutherland's character when they're they go on this bike chase which Again, Joel Schumacher has so much momentum, cameras moving everywhere, and if the camera's not moving, uh, the uh, the bikes are crossing um, crossing across the screen at such pace. Really well edited too. Um, what's the track? Um, Lost in the Shadows. Is that is that correct? Yeah. So I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I is, love yeah. it. Absolutely love it. And it's all blue, blue like moon, like it's yeah. like the moonlight's really atmospheric, super it atmospheric, is. and it basically culminates to. They uh, get to the edge of this cliff, or we know they're coming towards the edge of a cliff, and it gets really uh, foggy, and they don't know what to do. So Michael goes to bail, doesn't he? It's the I was gonna so I was gonna ask you about this scene actually, right? Because you've you've more recently seen Flatliners and um, most notably Batman Forever. So the use of like red and red light yes. and lens flare and smoke and blue light. That's that's really distinctive of his style, isn't it? Yeah. And it, this is one of the first times we see it, really. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think um, the cinematographer in this film, uh, we've already briefly mentioned the cinematographer, but is excellent. But what I like about it is is there is such a strong use of colour. There's a lot of red later in the film. Once Michael... So we're, we're basically going to go into discussing Michael actually becomes a vampire. He's tricked into drinking something which he thinks is wine and it's actually blood. Now, the reason he does it is because... It's clever. Classic. He's he's trying to impress Star. He's around the group and, you know, like being... Well, they're, they're eating Chinese food, so this... Like being this peer is pressured into drinking, though, isn't it? It's like being well, peer pressured into doing something and because there's a girl he likes there, he plows on and then regrets it pretty quickly. Well, yeah, it, it, and so it is. Like, and it's and I think it's quite clever, really. Um, so they're, they're sitting around eating Chinese food and, like... Um, Michael, like Kiva Sutherland's character, gives Michael um, a box of rice, and he says, "Oh, oh, like how are you, how are you enjoying those maggots?" And he looks down, and it, so one minute it's rice, and the next minute it's maggots, and yeah. so he's like, "Oh, oh my god!" And he throws it on the floor. He's like, "It's like what? Like okay, okay." He's like, "It's it's only it's only rice." And then so then he's got these noodles, and he says, "Yeah, okay." And then he eats the noodles in front of Michael. And so this is why it's so important. So he's tricked him with the rice. And so next he gives him the noodles and he says, um, oh, how are those? How do those worms taste? And then he drops and those. Then, and then he drops those. He says, they're just noodles, Michael. Um, and so then he gives him this like bottle of like w- extravagant wine? wine in this crazy like bottle. And he says, um, drink some of this. And so at this point, he's, he's been double bluffed. And he, he thinks it's he probably thinks it's wine. He's not going to get he's not going to look like a fool again in front of this girl that he really likes. Mm. It, it turns out this time, guess what? Bitches. It's blood. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, you tricked you tricked me. Yeah. 
So <laughs> essentially, though, the, what's good with the with the tricking scene, like you said, though, is it's also establishing the powers of the vampires early on because we don't really know what they can and can't do. So I'm not saying they've got mind control, but we understand that they can maybe influence people slightly or or change yeah. change the way they're well change the way they're thinking because he's literally seeing his food the other way and when michael drinks this like we instantly know something's wrong uh his eyes you know that weird uh they like the contact lenses and that horrible light you know like the yellowy can we talk about the contact lenses in this film they are amazing but look like they were hurt <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Did you, did you, so uh, there's a special feature I watched with the um, special effects artist. Mm -hmm. And so apparently like back then, this was 1987, um, contact lens weren't really used like much. So like they weren't really a thing. Like they were literally pieces of glass, right? And they were so painful, right? So listen to this and this blew my mind. So there's parts when you see, um, when they've turned into vampires, you see like their, their, their eyes change completely. Like, and it's got that yellow eyes kind of thing. Um, and so apparently they were so painful, these contact lenses, and they were like glass eyepieces that covered the whole eye oh. that they had to numb their eyes before they put them in. And then they could only wear them for like four or five minutes at a time oh. when they were shooting scenes and there was no oxygen getting to their eyes. So their eyes would go really dry as well. It's crazy. I hate any, anything about eyes and stuff. I just, I can't deal with. It makes my eyes water even hearing that story. But for what it's worth, the eyes look amazing and there's no CG here. You can't, you know, that wasn't an option. So you had to do it for real. So they, they put on the contact lenses. The vampires look, I know Joel Schumacher, we talked this before he, with the Batman films, it's all about like, treating the the suits like greek anatomy and that kind of thing and he, we always talk a lot about the idea of him saying make it sexier and make it you know make it make it appealing in that way so the vampire's yeah. faces don't actually distort all that much they're still scary looking but essentially their eyes change and then it's their yeah. teeth the rest of you know in buffy you imagine they kind of get the the big scowl at the top and like loads of extra lines and yeah. that kind of thing we don't really get that we just so get is, teeth yeah. and eyes exactly and the teeth like he wanted them to look really natural like the the face though like so what they did on the face was like it was like really like thin pieces of sponge on the face on the face so i think this was like this did inspire buffy the way these vampires looked because it's it's like they do have like slightly like puffed out forehead puffed out cheekbones where there was like really thin pieces of sponge glued there and so that that i really do think it was it's quite clearly um where buffy got its inspiration from definitely um, and, a and lot- so yeah like sorry go on no i was just gonna, well i was just gonna say michael is tricked into becoming a vampire he is but what what i one of the scenes i really enjoy which is is shortly uh shortly after that in the film is when his brother works out he's a vampire because michael's struggling oh my to goodness. sleep it's and he's my like favorite. floating up in bed he can't he, so we in this film vampires can fly pretty much can't they rather than just jump and so yeah and he's like levitating off the bed he can't sleep properly and he knows something's up but he's not fully sure is he and then he goes on another night out and he meets up with star and yeah. that's when he fully realizes and also they get together so i think he's kind of happy that the phantom became a vampire because it's given him a chance yeah but, uh yeah essentially the scene where his brother salmon finds out because they've got a dog and the dog's like going absolutely nuts. Yeah, it's like um, a Japanese Akita, I think. Yeah, like the dog's like. Oh, so this this that's probably my favorite part of the film actually, and some of my favorite lines yeah. um, come in this in this part of the film. So, 
the 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 Sam, the little brother, he just goes to have a a bath, like a bubble bath, (laughs) and he's in the bath and he's singing like. I ain't got a hell. Like, and he's like singing in the bath, like, and all of a sudden, like, you see uh, Michael go up to the the room, and the dog is like glaring at the door Going for him. And, yeah, yeah, and um, and like the dog basically something happens. Like Michael just like sorry, Sam's in the bath, like just doing like having really loads of fun. I guess like it looks like the most fun bath ever. Like, and then the dog actually attacks Michael because Michael's going to attack Sam, like almost like a like a, an instinct like yeah. an animal instinct and um then michael runs down like what's going on what's going on like he said um oh the, the dog was protecting you he said like what have you done to the dog like because the dog bit him on his hand and his hand's like really bloody isn't it and that's and it. the spe- and there's a mirror i was gonna say the physical effects are really like good in this aren't that's they? it yeah and then there's a mirror in front of them and then when he looks in the mirror that his brother doesn't have the reflection and he's like you're a vampire you're so he says so and this is my favorite line of the film. Like, it's so funny. He's like, you're a creature of the night, Michael. I can't believe it. My own brother, a shit-sucking vampire. You wait till mom finds out. And that is so funny because it's just like, it's it's obviously meant as a funny bit as well. Yeah. Because it's like, the dog has just mauled his hand. He just <laughs> found out his brother's a vampire. And like, he's come out with this line, like, like, you're a creature of the night, like my own brother. I'm, what you wait till I tell mum, like that you're a vampire. That's it. And his mum's on a date with Max. But I also love with this is the fact that he calls up the the Frog Brothers, doesn't he, for advice on how do I deal with this and what what yeah. do I do? And they're like, don't worry, we we know exactly what to do. We 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 think we know where the nest is, and we'll we'll take care of it. And you're just thinking, yeah. it's all gonna go Pete Tong very quickly. Well, they just say like, you, you've you've got to stake him through the heart. Yeah, like, <laughs> like literally, like yeah. kill your own brother. He's like. Is it like and and it's it's just such a brilliant scene. Um, the the mum is she's on a date with Max from the video store who like she really likes and he obviously really likes her. And uh, the mum comes back like because he calls his mum like because his his brother's trying to like well kill him I guess like um, it's a really it's a it's it was kill him maybe now like I feel like we're learning at this point that as a vampire he wants to feed, but we also understand he's he's close enough to him as his brother that he won't do it and we're he learning, has impulses yeah, yeah he's a different kind of vampire because like Kiefer Sutherland's David is very much a, a baddie and is targeting these people and we know because Star one of the people we haven't mentioned who's with Star is a child which implies obviously they, they've killed him okay yeah. and we yeah. see that Michael essentially is trying to save Star and the child from, from this abusive gang essentially so they can be saved. So, so the the rule is, if you have like drank the blood or you are becoming a vampire, as long as you don't kill, if the head vampire is killed, you can then become human again. That's it. If you have killed, then it's you. You become you. You stay a vampire. So the three people in the film that haven't killed yet are Star, the little boy I can't remember his name, and um, Michael. They they haven't killed anyone, and they try and get Michael to kill. They try and get Star to kill Michael when they sleep together one yes. night. It's it's yeah, it's it's oh man, it's, it's it's presented as a teen vampire film, but there's some really dark scenes. I want to talk about his initiation. There's a scene where the gang are uh, saying 
is the famous bit when they go, Michael, Michael, no more training now, Michael. And they're showing all yeah. their abilities. So the first thing that I'm, I'm well, I'm, I'm not going to get them all in order, but I know they do the thing where they're hanging off the train tracks and showing their strength. Yeah. Then they fly off the train tracks to show they can basically fly and, and survive. And then they do other things where they are watching a group of rockers or, or, or um, punks, whatever, having like a, a, a party by a fire. And Kiefer Sutherland's character, David, says, right, um, you know, training wheels are off. Off we go. And him and the gang fly down and really super violent. We haven't seen any violence till this point. At this no. point, the first shot you see is Kiefer Sutherland biting in somebody's head, blood splurting everywhere. This, like an actual scalp. Like yeah. the blood, like literally, like just spurts, doesn't it? And it's and it's traumatizing Michael. And Michael's really, it's really, it's good acting actually because he's resisting the urge because the blood is calling him and he needs to feed. But on the flip side, he's disgusted at what the what these these guys are doing. But people that have compared it to like a gang initiation, because I said to you, he was tricked into joining the gang. He's been led into false pretenses with the with the with the wine which is actually blood and then on this first day it's like he hasn't got a choice like it's well he has got a choice because he doesn't actually do anything but the fact is he's just kind of following and learning all the things that he can do because of what these people have done to him and then he's just witnessing their world and he's disgusted by it and he doesn't take yeah. part in that frenzy but the frenzy is brutal the shot choices again i'm talking about the energy it's like crash zooms and really quick cuts of just momentary bits of gore, but just they're super effective because they're used in small elements rather than in a modern horror film. You probably show it all super gory for long takes and it would actually lose the effect and the impact of it. I, I, I fully agree. Like, I think it's the way this has been done. And uh, Michael Chapman was saying, like, um, was saying that he really wanted to do a werewolf film. And this was like the closest he got, like to doing like some kind of like scary, like supernatural film. Um, Jason Patrick, actually, like, um, Joel Schumacher had to convince Jason Patrick for, like, six weeks to take the role. So he was only 18 at the time. Um, and Joel said, like, he basically said, like, no one had the look that Michael had. And and he, like, he is, like, Jason Patrick looked gorgeous. Like, he's got these, he's got this, like, long black hair. And he, just, he looks amazing. And he didn't want to do the film. If, he was afraid it was going to be, like, an exploitation horror film. And he took his acting really seriously. Did you also hear that apparently Ben Stiller was up for that role? Yeah, but young Ben Stiller, you know, so this is, I don't know yeah. how much he had done at that point, but I, 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 that I, I me. haven't seen, yeah, I haven't seen really Ben Stiller do anything serious. I don't think I've only ever really seen him in comedies, actually. I think he did one about something like turning 40 or something. And it was a more serious he done. One. So I've got on Blu-ray a film called The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. But I haven't watched it yet, and I know mm. that that's like a more of a coming of age style maybe, film. Well, not, do you know what? Maybe it was that, but it's something about like having a midlife crisis, but not. Yeah, you know, that's, some, that's the film. Okay, that's the yeah, film. yeah, yeah. Um, he goes and finds himself. Like he, he's he's sick of doing his office job. Like so, he goes and finds himself. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the I wouldn't change a thing about any part of this film. I no. think every piece of it is the reason why it's a cult film now is that it's it's just perfect in every way. Like we're so attached to these people. I was going to say, there's a few things um, we've, I know we briefly talked about the cinematographer and I will eventually stop, but the use of colour in the first attack scene with the gang is amazing because it's the fire is essentially the source line. Yeah, And it, it is, sets yeah. the mood because, you know, vampires, you're thinking of hell and the fact that they can burn, be killed by fire and whatever. And it just yeah. is, 
it's a horrible look if you know what i mean it's that kind of the 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 soup effect almost like people people used to call it but it, it's true and it's just it makes you feel uncomfortable because the colors aren't right it's too warm but it, it, with red red being obviously a color of violence and blood it all just works it's just great absolutely love that sequence no it, it's it's a yeah it's, it's so good and i think you, you say at that point like michael realizes he wants nothing to do with this so he goes back to his brother like him was weird he goes back to his little brother and he's and then they they devise a plan to end it all so essentially it gets a bit home alone it is very much well i'll say this this is probably before home alone actually Oh, it definitely was before home yeah. alone yeah yeah so, so they're setting up uh all the traps in the in their house for the for the vampires to come to them because star and the child which we've not remember the name of the whole podcast and i'm sorry for the number one fans who know and they they are there at the house with them so they're going to protect them so the the uh the frog brothers come around to help them set up the self-defenses and they're going to take out the gang and there is a very brutal home invasion and the vampire deaths are actually really gruesome (laughs) really gruesome the, the little boy's name's laddie by the way Laddie, um, okay. Apologies to anyone who's been shouting for the past hour of the podcast that we've not said his name once. No, like it's really funny. So you mention um the so the they the home alone sequence. Yeah. They they go they they do briefly go to the vampire's lair as what lair as well and like they and do. kill one of them and then and that's like kind of like gets them to come home. But this home alone sequence, right? The so Corey Feldman, like one of the, the frog brothers, he says, and this like I'm not sure if you picked this up, um, because it's, it's it's easily missed. He says some explode, some implode, some go quietly, and some go screaming. And that's what he says. And if you notice, they all every one of the way. vampires, they all go out one of those ways. So yeah. one of them explodes, one of them implodes, one of them, like Kiefer Sutherland's David, he goes out quietly, and one of them yes. goes out screaming. And that is, I think that's so cool that so they did that. The, what's great in this film is the whole way through... Um, the mom's trying to have this relationship, Lucy's trying to have this relationship with Max, and it turns out that Max is the head vampire. But before this, there's a really cool dinner scene where yeah. they're trying to work out if Max is a vampire. Oh my god! And they're I like, love it, yeah. uh, sorry. So Sam's character's like spilling garlic on him and like just trying to catch him out. And he, if he's have they nicked honey water or something at that point? Or was that later? But they're just yeah, they're just no, trying to catch yeah, him so out. They, it's just funny. It's just really good. So they scene. have yeah, and he's they like, have holy water like. Yeah. everyone didn't they and he's, he's like i'm not trying to be your new dad because he thinks it's just uh they're worried that you know it's a it's a well he presents himself as thinking that but I'm, I'm, yeah. i feel like he kind of knows what's going on so when we get the reveal that max is the big bad essentially the father of david and these characters it all goes very very wrong in this home invasion and it's great there's a really cool fight um again for the time no no cgi with no uh david fighting michael and they're flying around again typical joel schumacher loads of energy in the sequence so much going on lots of tight shots between the two of them it's very very dramatic you know what i'm saying like they they are full-on screaming and raging at each other even though that Kiefer southern's character david does go quietly when he eventually dies but at the start of the film, one of the first things we see is that the granddad's got this room that they're not allowed in, and the room they're not allowed in is essentially where most of the fighting takes place. That's right, isn't it? Because it's all like, what do you call it? Treasures from, not treasures, you know, um, what do you call it? Trophies from hunts and stuff. So they've got... Oh, like, like taxidermy. Like, yeah, yeah, he does, yeah, he does yeah. taxidermy, yeah. Like, and so one he, of the yeah, ongoing yeah. jokes is, like, as Sam, his grandson, he constantly gives him new taxidermied animals to put by the bed, and he's just yeah. terrified of them. It's just really um, funny. 
yeah, I've got, I've got to say, like, uh, Corey Haim in this is fantastic. Like, his, his like, subtlety in the, like, his comedic timing is absolutely brilliant. And it, again, like, he's not with us anymore. It's a, and it's a real shame. Like, is he not? I no, don't know that. no, so no, so and I, and I again like so him and him and Corey Feldman. So I'll, yeah, I'll go into it quickly. So him and Corey Feldman, um, Corey Feldman actually hated uh, Corey Haim because mm. Corey Haim auditioned for the role of Mouth in the Goonies just mm. before it, and um, so like, but Corey Feldman got the part, um, and he said, "Who is this? Who is this Corey guy? Like sick of him? Like sick of hearing about him, basically." <laughs> and but they become like best friends and stuff, and um, some pretty you can look into it yourself i'm not going to go into it on the pod because it's no. put us put us on a real downer but um some just some really sad things uh, i think happened to Corey Haim over the years from um he, i think he suffered a lot with like drug abuse like depression um cory feldman as well like he yeah. he's still with us but he also he i think he was addicted to cocaine like before yeah. the lost boys like turned up to set like um really high and joel schumacher said listen like you're fired like don't like and then he came back and um, cleaned himself up for the film. But again, he's really struggled with uh, drugs as well, which is just really sad, I guess. I was going to say it's really sad from this era. There seems to be quite a lot of issues with things like that because we also had um, with Ed. Is it Edward Furlong who played John Connor? And he had a really yeah, troubled. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's the success or the fame or if they get surrounded by the wrong people. But it's such a shame Ooh. because we Red love Phoenix as well. Yeah, but and there's we, like there's a lot of them. Yeah, we love these characters from the films, and we are you know we idolize them and, and relate to them through their films, and we see them as these happy characters or really engaging or funny people. And then it's so sad when you find out that obviously they're real people playing parts, and they've had such troubled aspects. And you know, think about all the joy and entertainment they've brought to people, and they always seem to have such negative lives after. It's it's really. It's a difficult subject, isn't it? I mean, I I would be keen, actually, to look back in, in the 40s and 50s and 60s eras, which we talk a lot about. I wonder if the scandals were still the same, but just brushed under the carpet more, or... Because there must have been I guess issues, so. I, you know? I, I say, must have I say, been something. Yeah, I say this a lot, like, in, in real life. Like, not that I'm, like, I'm... I'm not portraying a different person on the podcast. Like, I am me. Um, but, like, I think technology allows us to view things a lot more so it, yes, it, it gives us a lot more exposure on everything like just in general and that's why that's why people are caught for things like that they shouldn't be doing um, yep. whereas in like back then when there was no technology they wouldn't have been like there's all sorts of yeah it, it's heart it's heartbreaking really like they were so the Corey Haim and Corey Feldman were best friends they did six films together afterwards yeah known as the two Corys um and it, yeah, like heartbreaking. Uh, so yeah, unfortunately, he's not with us anymore. I think it was a few years ago. Now he died. On a lighter note, I think it'd be very appropriate. Then, what was your favourite um, Corey Haim scene with Sam? What is it? The bit when he finds out that his brother is the vampire, and he's like, "I'm telling mom," or is it? Oh, hundred percent. So there's so there's a uh, there's a couple. So there's the scene when he's li- like sitting in bed, reading the vampire comic. Yes. And the this is a really great subtlety to his acting when the grandpa p- brings in another Taxidermy. like an eagle or a beaver yeah. <laughs> like a stuffed beaver or something and he like kind of like glances over like in disgust but continues reading it's really subtle it's yeah. brilliant acting there's that there's there's the part where um he oh he also like nails the frog brothers on the action comics so he's yes, talking to them about does. superman Love that part, um, but obviously my favourite bit is the, the the pure comedy of when he's sort of saying, 
I can't believe it. My own brother, a shit-sucking vampire. You wait till mom finds out. Like, that yeah. is just, it's, it's hilarious. Absolutely brilliant. They're, they're my favorite parts from him. I think he's fantastic. So I wanted to pick a favorite moment in the film just to just to leave this before we move on to Monster Squad. But I oh, think... you, what are you doing? You're just spoiling it for everyone. No, no, no. I just well, I... you just did. You just did. You've you've told them the next film. Oh my god. Well, no. well, viewers, <laughs> guess what we've paired it with? Guess what we've paired it with? Johnny missed dying. Let the cat out the bag. That's it. That's right. It. Carry on. Carry no, on. I was going to say. I think my favorite sequence, and this is a bit boring. If it's not the first one, which I spoke about with such passion, I think people will understand why. Yeah. I think it's probably the bike chase. The bike chase is so mm. good. and So for, tense. For something that's so low budget, relatively low budget. And wasn't this shot over three weeks, did we establish? It was a really... Six weeks. Six weeks, sorry. But it's a very shoot, short yeah. turnaround. But what I loved is the, the bike chase, honestly... There's a similar bike sequence in Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. I don't know if you if you've watched them recently. I've not watched them recently. Them. Okay, no, I've not watched them recently. But again, it's obviously a subculture. He's got some interest in, and he just knows how to film it. And it's just great. Yeah. I don't know. It's just yeah. it's just if you know how to capture it and and create energy and excitement, and then that's it. Now, apologies for ruining what the link film is this week, ladies and gentlemen. But hey, here we are. Well, well, the, just so you know, guys, every week we pair the film. We pair the, the main film with a another film that is of a similar ilk in the similar vein. Usually we try and go a little bit off kilter. So so for me, like I would have paired it with, had I not see, just watched it maybe a few weeks, like a couple of months ago, I, my first pairing would have been Fright Night. Fright Night is one of my favourite films uh, again. So if, you, if you're in the UK, you can get Fright Night. You can go at Eureka Masters of Cinema. They've got a Blu-ray of Fright Night. Um, if you're in the US... I've got no idea, but I, I hope you can find it somewhere. Fright Night, it's 80s again. It's absolutely brilliant. Fright Night would have been my first choice, but we decided, as Johnny's already told you, so you already know, why am I building up? We paired it with Monster Squad. So, Monster Squad, what did you think of that, Johnny? Can we chat about the fact that I was instantly expecting something like Suicide Squad, and to be fair, it wasn't far off. No, I'm joking. I just, uh, I love the fact that any setup, which is just basically all the universal monsters from back in the day at once, I, I really enjoyed it. It's, I'll be honest, I didn't enjoy it as much as Lost Boys. I will start from there. However, Neither did I, no. it's another film of that kind of Goonie style, a load of kids coming together to take action, and Little Rascals, if you've ever seen that, that's another one from that kind of era. And I, I, I enjoy them. And, and again, I, I said this to you, it's really hard now realising the reason Stranger Things works so well is because it just takes all the best aspects of all these things and 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 gives it us with lovely production values of 2000 and, you know, whenever it started, 2015, whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, so Monster Squad, I, I'd never seen it before. Um, believe it or not, um, had a £12 million budget. So... <laughs> Um, so Lost Boys had 8.5 million pound budget. Uh, the Monster Squad had the 12 million pound budget. And guess what? There's a film called Upgrade, right? That had a four, uh, four million pound budget, six million pound budget. I don't know how they did that. Anyway, like 12 million pound budget. Uh, where's the money gone? I tell you where um, it's gone. So in the opening sequence, we see Van Helsing fighting oh yeah <laughs> fighting yeah. away like all oh, the evil dead and they get sucked into a portal which is very it's pre-cg effects so it's it looks a bit odd and, the, so yeah, yeah it does it does yeah and I, I essentially i think that's probably quite an expensive sequence and the sequence at the end but you know they've got a dog in there 
And the dog, the dog's like a trained dog. So that's that's a bit of money. The, <laughs> so know. this this film, it could be like a mishmash of about eight different like films from around this era. So it's like the Goonies. It really reminded me of the Princess Bride, like the the kind of the tone of it. Um, the Sandlot Kids, um, like Johnny said, the Little Rascals. Yeah. Um, it's got so much of like it's in Stand by Me. Like yeah. it's about a group of friends um, banding together to basically fight off all of the evil monsters. So we've got Dracula. We've got the uh, what's the underwater? Is it the creature from the Black Lagoon? Is that actually yeah, a creature full name? from the Black Lagoon? Yeah. yeah. The, we've got the mummy. We've got the Frankenstein's monster. And the werewolf is it? And so we've got like... werewolf. Yeah. But what? Yeah. I'll be honest. Let's talk about the characters. I'm not massively keen on the werewolf makeup, but the oh. transformation. I think the transformation you, is really good. You've and took the words out of my mouth. Yeah, they they do. Like he's in a phone booth and he's saying, "Arrest me now. I am the werewolf." And they're just like, "Shut up." <laughs> you know, just completely shut him down. We do, we don't believe you. We don't believe you. And there's this amazing transformation sequence. Again, no CGI. This is all practical, and it's really grim. It's on his close-ups of his hands. Like he starts to balloon out, and then his back Brilliant. goes. And I I just really like it. But then the final design, I go, "Ooh, he looks like he's he's like a hunchback wolf." It's I don't know. Really, like well, it's the, the the issue I take is the wolf's face looks yeah. really terrible. Odd. The I, so the for me, I think the physical effects are fantastic. Like yeah, so the, yeah. the, Like you just said, the transformation is it looks absolutely brilliant. The costumes look brilliant. The the creature from the Black Lagoon looks brilliant. Do you know, I, I, the first thing I thought was, why does the creature from the Black Lagoon look like he could be in Suicide Squad 2020? You know, like, honestly, it looks, it looks like a legitimate suit. But they don't really have much to do with him. He literally just appears out of, what's it called? Like, he comes out the floor at one point and then just isn't he does. really in it. It's a bit of a shame. He He's does, yeah. Best no, suit I, and he gets the least, least use. I don't like the Dracula design. I know it's the classic one, but it's just a bit... Uh, so uh, Duncan Regia, Regia I, I, I'm not sure how you say his second name, but he. So just so you know, his portrayal of Dracula is considered by many as one of the greatest portrayals ever. Really? But, but mate, right? How many have there been though? Let's oh, be there's been well, there's been loads. A fair few. Ex- yeah, exactly. So I love his portrayal of Dracula. He's a badass. Like so, you know, like so the film is basically what the film is. It's it's a group of kids, and they, there's this amulet that gets basically summons all the all the all the monsters and the kids are part of the monster squad and they are like like sort of experts on monsters well they think like they're just kids that like monsters they're a treehouse club right that's all they are yeah exactly (laughs) just like stand by me um and the yeah so they they band together to try and put an end to this treehouse like to this to these universal monsters and there's there's stuff going on in the background like there's there's parent issues like one uh, the parent of the the main kid um his dad's his dad policeman. is yeah his dad's a policeman who's having like home troubles with his wife because he's never there all those kinds of things so there's, there's layers to it like it's it's a, it's really good like i really i had i had so much fun with it like the last half an hour is crazy like i yeah, had so much fun actually... and that's where obviously all the like the budget, the budget went. went um big wind machine the, oh it was it was the it's it's so much fun and the little girl his, his little sister's like five years old she's so um, sweet what she is she's really really Can sweet I just she say, to... have we mentioned frankenstein's monster 
No. So well, we have. We we know he's in it, but yeah. Okay, so essentially the little girl forms a relationship with Frankenstein's monster and it's just really cute. That's it is really cute. <laughs> Did you um so there's like as usual like we don't we know we know we never go into like too much detail on the second film go and watch it though it's on amazon prime at the moment in the uk for it's free. free it's so much fun and um, it's so much fun and um yeah like i i really like fully enjoyed it um do you know i did notice right one little detail when they're um they're one of them's reading a comic is actually the front of the comic is a weird science cover okay. which was made like two or three years before um but yeah like it's a great film great soundtrack again and it links really really well in with the lost boys yeah i think definitely and i think we've got an amazing question about soundtracks which we're going to go into we we have got an amazing question about soundtracks so um friend of the show ellie writes in and she says monster squad has some banging songs as i'm sure you'll all agree hashtag rock until you drop which is a banger um, the 80s has some epic movie music, Ghostbusters, Star Wars, etc. Is this an element missing from modern movies or is it just as relevant as it used to be? So I'm really into film soundtracks, which is the which is so this, this is kind of split over two questions in it. We've got uh, favorite themes and fav- movie songs. Is that kind of we've got a bonus round? We've got a bonus round. Yeah. Okay. So the bonus, the bonus. We'll, we'll, let's start off. Let's start small with. Yeah, we'll start off small. The 80s had some epic movie music, Ghostbusters, Star Wars, etc. Is, is this an element missing from modern movies or is it just as relevant as it used to be? I think the role of the film soundtrack has changed. So back in the day, um, a lot of films had very melodic themes and a character had a theme and you when that theme played that you, you or they had a light motif you knew that the, who that character was through the music so in star wars princess leia has a theme the force has a theme yoda has a theme there's the imperial march and you yeah. know when you hear the imperial march the darth vader is coming when you hear this and that and we've gone away from that that's not the style now again i'm going to talk about it atticus finch and trent reznor when they do the scores for fincher films they set a mood rather than having melodic themes throughout. I think that's the shift now. I think the shift is score is used to enhance mood rather than to almost help the story by telling it in another way. Like the melodies used to kind of tell the story in another way. So if I think of something like Vertigo, which is one of the most gorgeous scores ever written and committed to film, it is Bernard Herrmann. Bernard Herrmann. Absolutely adore that soundtrack. Can listen to it on repeat all day. That for me is there's key uh, motifs which play throughout the film and you know what's going on with the characters through the music and now it's more like music sometimes sounds like noise and it's supposed to it's supposed to mix in with the sound effects and there's like a, a cross between what's what what yeah i kind of said to you it's almost like the death of melody which isn't fully true because for example in the latest but um in the snyder cut junkie xl tom holkenberg did the score but uh, superman still has a theme batman still has a theme wonder woman still has a theme but it's just different it's just it's used as a as a light repetitive motif over and over again it's not like the original superman theme which was a long bombastic you know piece that would play over and over it's just it's just done differently now it's a different style yeah so my answer to the question i guess i think that it makes just makes me sad i guess it makes me sad because i think right this is this is what i think yeah like soundtracks have completely changed 
um, music in films has completely changed. I fully agree with you on that. Do I think it's better or worse? I think it's way worse now. Um, Junkie XL, yeah, he's done. He's done a few soundtracks now on films, has he not? He he's did, done. He's done a few. I believe he was kind of trained up by Hans Zimmer, so a lot of the stuff he was right, doing okay. with him early. Excuse me. He was working on the Nolan trilogy towards the end, and then he did Tomb Raider, which I quite enjoyed the score for. And then, right. but those scores are—they're obviously electronic scores, and I like them, but I don't hold them in my head. They're, they're just so different, so removed from Bernard Herrmann or from John Williams or from um, James, James yeah. Horner. You were talking about earlier because you watched Southpaw. That's the James Horner score. I think it's one of the last he did before he died. And it was the second last he did before he died. There you go. So it, it's just so such a different style, and and I don't know. It's very rare now. Is it you... any less relevant though? So so what I'm saying. So the question is right, and 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 I know what like Ellie's getting at because so so this so for me right. I've 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 obviously had to answer the question by writing notes because it's not something I could just think of off the top of my head. The films that mean the most to me are like films with proper soundtracks. Like I've written down like Goodfellas, right? The Goodfellas soundtrack is actually unbelievable. It's it's incredible. And a Martin Scorsese film in general has an amazing soundtrack because he's an old school filmmaker. Johnny B. Good, Back to the Future, Don't You Forget About Me in The Breakfast Club, uh, Hugh Harris, Rhythm of Life in Uncle Buck, Mrs. Robinson, The Graduate, Eye of the Tiger. Now tell me of a film lately that has is i know and i know these films become it becomes iconic over there time is, i get it, that there is that but i was about to say your there's a distinct line here between themes and and movie tracks so so, so yeah. sorry like a, a movie soundtrack and, and movie songs now i think from the question it's kind of saying like in the 80s you had a mix of both you could have like a really good soundtrack you did, yeah, of course. and then you like sorry of score and then you'd have cool songs which link into it um, in terms of modern ones, I've got a list of favourite themes, but I'll go through the movie songs first because that's what you've done. I yeah. think when A Star Is Born came out, everyone was singing Shallow, you know. Right, so okay. I would okay. say, now, is that cheating because it's a, a film about a performing musical? music? Eh, not really, but, mm. you know, so there's there's that. I would say, um, for example, uh, we've just talked about Lost Boys. I mean, Lost in the Shadows is an absolute banger. I just, and... and can't. Oh, from the Lost Boys. From Cry, Lost Boys. Uh, Cry Little Sisters, my favourite on that. Oh, that too. But yeah. anyway, um, and then I was going to say, you've, you've already mentioned Eye of the Tiger with Rocky is the most. For me, if you say song for a film, everyone will do like Eye of the Tiger. If they're doing a training montage, they will always think of it. And then yeah. I, I, the other one I thought of, which was just a bit too obvious, so I've not included, is obviously Bond themes. Every Bond theme is essentially sold. Sorry, every Bond film is sold on what the theme is. And the theme gets in the charts and it raises interest. Now, now we're talking about this. Joel Schumacher was known for getting music artists involved with his pictures to help promote the film, which is a kind of a dying art now. It's not really done. But back in the day, it would be like, okay, well, um, you know, for Batman Forever, you had Kiss from a Rose on the soundtrack and, and another yeah, of course one. Like, you, did. you know, big tracks, big tracks. Well, um, another one we're forgetting, um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yes. Uh, is that like Kiss from a Rose? Bri- Brian, no, Brian Adams, Sorry, um, um, everything I do, I do it for you. That's it, yeah. What what I'm saying is, right, we don't see that anymore, really, do we? I would say, sorry, the biggest one we've missed out, which was I remember taking over for years and I would have only been... You're uh, going to say The Greatest Showman? No, well, no. I wasn't, which is a musical. Great shout, Jamie. It's great a musical, shout. though. I wasn't going to say that, but I was going to say 
Titanic, My Heart Will Go On, that song lived on and on and on. And for James Cameron tried to do the same trick when Avatar came out. There was a song called I See You or something. Yeah, it wasn't. And, it did, just didn't, it didn't uh, grip anyone, did it? No, but it's it, that era had gone. It was such a like a bygone era of how do I promote my films? And I think that's the thing. It's not done now. Now, I was going to bring up something controversial here. Movie songs are used in a different way now. It's less of having an original song for the film. It's taking songs that are well-known to put them in the film to make a cool soundtrack. Now, Suicide Squad was re-edited by a trailer company. This is official and, like, known, okay? And they are the guys who put in, in the first, there's six needle drops, is it, in Suicide Squad in, like, the opening 20 minutes or something? Because I can't remember all of them now. You've got Eminem without me... Um, you don't own me with G Easy, um, Purple okay. Lamborghini. There's loads. Now, about two of the tracks in that soundtrack were like new, and a lot of the tracks they used were older because they knew it would hook people in and it would look cool. And again, they were trying to rip off Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, so yeah. I was gonna say, Sorry, go am on. I a walking contradiction? Right? Am I a walking contradiction? He is. Uh, it turns out I might be because <laughs> I guess, I guess. So this is what I've written down here, right? And th- this is such a great question, Ellie, by the way, because it's it sparked so much discussion. like And debate. <laughs> and, and debate, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't know whether time, so I don't know whether the amount of time that passes makes a soundtrack more iconic. I don't know whether that is a thing. It must be, right? Yes, however, so it must be. when Titanic came out, people knew that my heart will go on was a banger. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's... Did, sorry, did you just say it was a banger or did it... you say that... Because the, the, the song's terrible. Mate, that song literally took over everywhere and every time mm, you went to any not concert, in my house. people was Not in my it. house. Okay, all right. Um... But, <laughs> no, I, I think obviously the longer it's got to stick with it, for something like Rocky, which is, you know, late 70s and then you've got Eye of the Tiger, it's had years and years to ingrain into people. But someone once did a thing and it said... This isn't a bash, but people said, out of all the Marvel films, hum one theme tune for one character. And people couldn't because it wasn't done the same way. You've got the you've got the Marvel theme, which is good. They have their opening logo, which people know now from, from yeah. the TV. But it's, you know... Well, back... you've got themes in general, right? But, so, Terminator? But, yeah, but back in the day, if you say, take Danny Elfman with Spider-Man. I, I think yeah. one of those soundtracks, yeah. you know, Danny Elfman is Batman, Danny Elfman's Batman theme tune... It's just different. Now, compare Danny Elfman's Batman theme tune to The Dark Knight, which is two notes. It's duh, duh, repeated in different ways. And that shows to me how film scores changed from 1989 to 2005 in such a short space of time that it's like same character, same dark intentions, completely different way of scoring it. It's really funny because this question really does show the difference between Jamie and Johnny. Sorry. It really doesn't it. No, it does. No, it does. Like in a good way. Like, so it really shows like how we are so different and how we look at things differently. And that's perfect because if we were both the same, the podcast would be boring. I, so for me, the last real score that stuck out was either Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. They're the most recent scores in recent memory that actually stick out. You've got like Terminator, which is, iconic robocop that's that's always in my head when i'm walking anywhere basil popper marching basil popper something i don't know i don't even know who the director is johnny it's paul Paul verhoeven yeah hey um like 
yeah so the the only like the most iconic nowadays is pretty much anything done by john williams or howard shaw like but i I guess yeah you're right you're right like film scores have changed has the audience changed no not really because like if i've seen a teen comedy i want to hear some some good tunes like i want to see i want to hear some like really good tunes from them so it brings us on what were you going to say i was going to say would you like to finish off with something before we go into the bonus round yeah i was just going to say before we reach the bonus round i'll tell you what's got a really good score and it's only like two or three pieces reused over and over again but it's a film most people will watch every christmas the music in love actually is brilliant there's only three (sighs) mate there's three or four pieces of music that are built so well i absolutely adore it's craig armstrong Love it. I, I will fight for it. But I'm going to wait for the bonus round. Are we are we discussing our favourite themes yet? Or am I, or am I I'll love back? actually. So the bonus round is name your three favourite movie songs or themes. Right, On I, you go, Johnny. I've got both. So we're going all out. I think, well, no, I've already talked about the movie songs. So I'll just do themes. So for anyone who wants to listen to older film soundtracks and has any interest, I listen a lot to film soundtracks when I work. So I, I quite enjoy doing it that way. So I recommend Spartacus, um, which is Stanley Kubrick's film. And it is Alex North. Alex North uh, was a composer who did a few projects with Stanley Kubrick back in the day. He's the guy, Jamie, who wrote a score for 2001 A Space Odyssey, thought it was going to be used, went to the opening premiere, and his film soundtrack wasn't there. Imagine. Love it. That's well funny. <laughs> so Kubrick, just like, yeah, we'll use the temp score. We'll use the temp score. Anyway, uh, the second one I've already mentioned, Vertigo, Bernard Herrmann. Again, brilliant composer to get into if you want to hear some old school, beautiful uh, melodic um, music. Vertigo and uh, another good one for people to step into. Marnie's a really good score, quite similar. And then... Anything op- that's not Hitchcock? Well, to be fair, Spartacus isn't Hitchcock. <laughs> no, no, it's not as Kubrick, sorry. And then I was going to say, actually, for more modern film music, I find uh, a lot of Hans Zimmer stuff's quite accessible. So if you want to go for anything from uh, Batman Begins is quite a good one because that's him. Uh, or, sorry, uh, The Dark Knight or, or Dark Knight Returns. But I really like the Man of Steel soundtrack which has some stuff with Junkie XL, who we've briefly touched upon, Tom Holkenberg. But if you want a long epic soundtrack listen to the new justice league one because the soundtrack must be as long as the film because i put it on for a working day the other day and i don't think it had finished by the time i had finished and you know i worked for a a long time so i couldn't believe it was still going i thought okay i'm stopping now wowee um so yeah go on tell me i want to know have you got favorite themes as well as songs i'd love to know um so i guess my favorite so in terms of like soundtracks Mm -hmm. I know I'm so boring. You all know, you already all know that my favorite soundtrack is probably Dirty Dancing, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you another three that isn't Dirty Dancing because I don't want to be that that guy, that boring. So I'm not going to say... My, so my favorite movie songs, Don't You Forget About Me, from The Breakfast Club, mm-hmm. right? In terms of like movie soundtracks, I'm going to go for Goodfellas is, has always been one, but just because I'm in love with that era and that music... And then I guess the theme, in terms of themes, I'm not a huge fan of, uh, like, oh, sorry, soundtracks, uh, Drive. Drive is one of my favorite soundtracks. And another one is a a smaller film uh, called The Guest. I don't know if anyone's seen that. The Guest is absolutely brilliant. And at some point, like, we should should cover it because it's, it's like, 
it's, it's a brilliant film. I don't really want to go into much about it. Same it's um, di- directed by Adam Wingard. Uh, Adam Wingard, he did the VHS film. He's just done that Godzilla vs. Kong. Hmm. Um, and he's done a film called Your Next, which is actually wicked as well. Like, love Your Next. That film is a, it's, it's about like a soldier and he introduces himself to a family of another soldier who's unfortunately passed away. He claims to be a friend of the, the soldier um, and then they take him in and what things follows? start happening. It's yeah. really, really good. The soundtrack is wicked. So they're, they're like a little bit left field in terms of soundtrack. In no, terms cool. of themes... Themes, I guess. What can I say? Probably, yeah. Terminator is Brad Friedel. One yeah. of my, one of my, yeah, one of my favorite themes. Like because it's, it's just so iconic. And I guess, yeah, Vertigo, Vertigo is well up there, well oh, up so there. Good. And Superman. I know. Oh, I know, brilliant. I know that's a cop out. No, but... it's not at all. That that theme was used so long for apparently, like back in the day, like in the NFL and stuff, or you know, for American football games, people used to play the Superman theme tune before they went out. It was just like a done thing. It was a, a crowd oh, raise or whatever. It's a one they like that's a wonderful wonderful score and maybe a uh, uh, the cartoon X Men. <laughs> I love that. It's like of all the themes and it's like oh yeah X Men cartoon. But I'll be honest, that is a banger. I remember I can still play that on the keyboard. It's the one anyway. You can play it on keyboard. Oh yeah. Oh yes. We need to uh, next time I come round when we're allowed. I'm, I'm, I want to see that. And so yeah, like uh, the, uh, we've we've got another question before we move on. I have just thought of one thing I didn't mention. I'm gonna kick myself for not mentioning the top gun soundtrack is one of the best a soundtracks ever and if we ever oh, do wow if we ever talk about top gun you've got um into the danger zone take my breath away it's just oh so good and i remember this is really really sad for my old job we used to drive to scotland a lot and i was with um one of my colleagues and we were driving through there's a pass in scotland where you just go on this bit of motorway between these two massive hills let's say and an F-16 went over as we had the Top Gun soundtrack on. It was Danger Zone. And it was Highway to the Danger Zone. And this plane went by. And you can imagine me being absolutely overhyping it, going absolutely crazy. I thought it was just amazing. So anyway, that's that. <laughs> I literally can imagine you overhyping it. Yep. Um, the Yeah. And I will just finish just by saying, like, nowadays, the I feel like the only directors i can really think of and i know i talk about them all the time but the only directors i can really think of that still put soundtracks in their films is people like quentin tarantino like and he does like he's still he still put has like a full soundtrack to a film because but that's because he's in love with older cinema yep um it just yeah i guess it it makes me sad that there isn't many people out there and i'm, and I'm sure i'm sure there's other directors i'm not like thinking of off the top of my head that i'll, I'll mention like scorsese does the same thing yeah, um, but I always mention them two in the same breath because they're they're both and the Coen brothers. Sorry, the Coen brothers also have fantastic soundtracks. Um, but there's not many people around that do it anymore, and it's sad. I was going to say for Tarantino, especially for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, if you listen to that soundtrack, it just sets you back in the sixties. It's even got the fake adverts and some of the real adverts from the time, and some of the fake adverts, and it's just almost as much of an experience as watching the film. It's just a treat. So good. Anyway. So we've got a couple of questions just to just to fade us out a little bit. So actually, Vicky asks, what is your favorite monster? Like in terms of like, so the universal monsters, what's, who's your favorite one? In Are we going in Monster Squad or just in general? Go, we'll go Monster Squad because then we've got a couple of other questions surrounding that. Okay, I really like the creature for the Black Lagoon because it was the best suit. I thought it uh, was really yeah. cool. But... 
in terms of like you were saying about Dracula actually one thing we didn't talk about there is a scene where the police are trying to cost him and he literally takes five out and he's just walking straight down and like all these police and every time they go for him they try and jump around his neck and he just like okay. snaps them as he goes it's brilliant but like why are you not mentioning the part where he grabs the five-year-old girl by the face and oh, says yeah. give yeah. me the amulet you bitch yes he does to a five he calls to a five-year-old a five-year-old girl he calls her a bitch and it's hilarious I, I was like, I was howling at that. I, I think my favourite out of all of them, I love the way the mummy dies and I love the way oh, the yeah. werewolf, I love when a were, the werewolf gets a piece of, a stick of dynamite put down his trousers and thrown out of a window and explodes in midair. That was like one of my favourite bits. Um, Dracula, I, I think that he's a hilarious Dracula. I really, really loved him as Dracula. Can I just um, say the werewolf death is actually quite harrowing. I won't go into it anymore oh, for people no, who are going to watch so it. It's so sad. But it's no, actually it quite, for, for a but, film that's not really trying to say much, it was a bit of a, ooh, that's poignant. Yeah, but it's sad because it's a... It's a like, tragedy, it's, isn't it? It's not it's his fault. It's a man, fault. yeah. Like, no, it's not his fault. Like, And, and it's, it's always sad when a werewolf dies. Right then, pod question. Mm-hmm. Surrounding the universal monsters as well, Uh-oh. and monsters in general, this is from Patch... He writes in and says, did movies like Twilight and the latest Mummy movie ruin the classic monster movie or is there still a place for the dark universe? Okay, two things with this. I've only seen Twilight 1. I think I've seen clips of the second one many years ago maybe, but I had nothing wrong with the first Twilight. The thing I didn't like about it though was because I loved Buffy for years, I didn't like the ideas of vampires being able to go outside. I just couldn't get on board with it. But anyway, in terms of has that affected the monster genre, I don't think so. I just think I think the the Tom Cruise mummy was that phase where we talked briefly about this, where everyone wanted a universe. No one concentrated on making one good film. You set up your trailer for the next five films. And by jumping the gun, the quality control seemed to lack on the initial... You know, I remember the poster shot of Johnny Depp and all those different actors and Russell Crowe who were going to be in this dark universe and half of them weren't even in the Mummy film and nothing's happened since. And it just, I just thought, you know, you're jumping the gun. Make a good film, get a sequel. I really like the 1999 yeah. Mummy and if they would have carried on with that Oh, of course, yeah, they're brilliant. Well, I'd they did carry it on, didn't they, with Scorpion King and with oh, The Rock, I'm which was like when he first that. kind of went into, from wrestling to acting. Yeah. So... It's a good question from Patch. Like, I I can't say that I can't sit here and say that I've seen the old like the old like Universal monster films. So like I haven't mm. seen the Mummy, I haven't seen any Creature of the Black Lagoon, I haven't seen any of that. Um, do I think that there's a place for it? So, how about we think about Lee Wanell's The Invisible Man, mm. which is brilliant. Absolutely, it was my favorite film of last year by by a margin like absolutely fantastic just thinking actually patches will also raise a valid point which is in 2003 they tried to bring back this universe before there was a van helsing film with hugh jackman and it had vampires werewolves terrible yeah but the point... and abraham lincoln vampire hunter as well yeah. terrible yeah but the point is I think every so many years it looks like he's he's said that we're trying to adapt it and change it into a way that it's applicable again. 
like trying to find it, trying to trying to market yeah. it a different way. And I think I don't think the Dark Universe was a particularly bad idea. But I think what aggrieved people was there was literally a scene. I've not seen it, but I've heard there's a scene where Russell Crowe essentially sets up a load of sequels for a good five or ten minutes, and it and it, it stops the film dead. And people complain saying, "What you know, just get on with this." And then I don't know, straight. And I guess I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it because do you know what? It's something different. It's something different because we haven't seen a great deal of it. Like we've only really seen the only ones that were really the like good films were the mummy. Like that I can remember, like the ones like the Brendan Fraser ones and the new invisible man. Yeah. I was going to say though, in terms of the older ones, if you haven't watched them, I used to watch a lot of them with my dad and a lot of them in black and white. A lot of them are four, three aspects. I want to see these. Worth yeah. I want to see these. Worth a watch. Cause some of the, some of the stuff they could yeah. do with cinematography and, and, just kind of the moods they'd have because the black and white anyway creates such an atmosphere. They really, I don't know. Just yeah, no, it does. It reminds but me. Also, of... sorry, go, go on. on. I was, was going to say, I'm, I'm just sick of, I'm sick of universes in general. Like, yeah, stop, stop trying to make, just make good films and stop trying to make big universes. Put it this way, nothing at this point now is going to replicate what we're, what we, we, we're hinting at is the MCU. Like, nothing's going to replicate it really. Nope. Um, it's happened. It will never ever happen again. Nope. Like it, it won't. It simply won't. Like that was an incredibly well executed piece of um, foreshadowing on all parts. Like there's a lot of six out of ten films in there. A lot of six out of ten films, but they somehow like culminated. Why are you laughing? Because you know I'm sh- saying six. I'm saying I Marvel films are six out of ten. Yeah. I can like. Yeah, I can no, say they're six out of ten because there's plenty of them in there. Like there the, is. Like we've had a chat about there's plenty of films that are an origin film, and we got a lot of the same origin story, but they Again. repackaged it in a different way. Cookie cutter. <laughs> oh, okay. They're just cookie but, cutter. And then they are. They're reskinned. I will. Re-skinned. I will say this, and I've I've said it before because we talked about it on the Snyder Cut special, um, which is we're getting cancelled. We're getting cancelled for <laughs> saying. For, I'm getting cancelled for saying Marvel. A lot of Marvel films are six out of ten. But what I was about to say was, you are completely right. Which is, they started a trend, and unfortunately, it was a trend which killed everything else because they tried to do it with Star Wars. They tried to release Solo. They tried to release a Star Wars film every year. It didn't. And they're going to do it now. They're still doing it. They're releasing loads of series now. Yes, but the films didn't take the the you know the the, in terms of the the Solo was not the financial return they thought it was going to be. No. And, and it kind of dropped all. I've that still off. not seen it. For example, I've still not there seen you, it. I'm, there you go. I'm, I'm just, I'm just not bothered because yeah. we, we, like, I know it's such a cliche saying, but less is more. Yeah. Less literally is more, and and I'd say the same thing that from for the the DC universe as well. Like, we, I, I just want to see good films. Like that's all I want to see. Like, I love the fact we spent an entire episode gushing over a four-hour film, and then James like, less is more, less is more. It's like we've literally <laughs> waited for, like, you know, for how many years the Snyder cuts come out? Sat there for four hours, did a two-hour podcast about how amazing it was, and then we're like, yeah, but less is more, guys. So you know, right? And okay. Also, on the same thing, I must say I'm a massive hypocrite because. I'm there saying, oh, I'm fed up with universities and whatever. I've watched WandaVision. I enjoyed it. But what I was going to say more so is I'm fully behind if someone restores the Snyderverse and I'm there. So do you know what? Yeah. You know, like, whatever. But with, so what I was saying was with these films, and, and do you know what? You can mention James Bond as well um, because that's a perfect example because the 70s Bonds are like, there's a lot of trash in there. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, I'm not just saying the only reason I mentioned Marvel is because it's current. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like the, the only real big franchises that like have real consistency now, like we've said before is like mission impossible. Harry Potter has got pretty good consistency in terms of like the eight films in there. They've 
quite good. Like there's there's To like, be fair though, I was gonna say even with Mission Impossible, there are some duds in there. Like I love two, but I don't think it's a good film. I enjoy yeah, it, like, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. not it's not a good film. And also there's one I think Rogue Nation was fine, but I didn't love it. And then and then no, Rogue Nation um, I like really like Rogue Nation. Is that yeah, is that the one with the Opera House? There's one with the yeah. Opera House I wasn't actually yeah, that like bothered that. about, but then Fallout I thought it's brilliant. But look, it doesn't matter. I think the, the point we're trying to say is going back to the original question is there room for the monster universe there is but i think they shouldn't have done it immediately after marvel because what happened was there was audience fatigue i mean like kong versus godzilla's come out recently i don't think there is audience fatigue though that's the thing i think people are still lapping up every single marvel film and that's that's what no, i no, find like but, but, but you that's the point marvel they didn't lap up the dc equivalent they haven't no. lapped up the you know they the mummy didn't take enough so what what i'm saying is I think those characters, so the characters that you've you've mentioned, there is definitely space for those stories because as Jamie said, with the Invisible Man, with the right director and a different take, there is definitely a way of incorporating it. Into Fantastic. A, in an amazing way. Is Please there, watch it. Is there room for a whole universe? And the answer is probably no because, again, I know we're talking about apart from the IPs which are already selected and already exist, so Star Wars... Yeah. Marvel, DC, uh, sorry, Star Wars, Marvel, and James Bond, and I think James Bond as well. They take like five years to make one film, so there's enough time in between to kind of. Which is good, like no, it. and that's fine yeah. now. That's fine because they weren't doing that back like back then. No, they have been doing it lately. Roger yeah. Moore was pumping them out, and that's why I think some of them weren't great. But anyway, you know, <laughs> pumping the, them out. The, the, <laughs> the point is, the characters themselves. If someone's got an interesting take, then it's 100% applicable to a modern audience. Because taking the Invisible Man and making it a story about domestic abuse, what a shout! You know who'd who'd have yeah. who'd have thought of no. that? So uh, that's yeah. that's that's what I'd say to it. But brilliant question because again, every time we get a question from you, it always causes a lot of debate. But in a good yeah, way, Pat, so. like Pat, yeah, Patrick always like gets he the is insight a big, going. Like yeah, a, a, a big fan of the show. Like I say, big fan. He always writes in so like with really interesting questions, and that's that's good. Um, yeah, I, I guess I guess we should leave it there. Like I, I think on an on a on a later episode, I reckon it. I think it's really important. Um, because I've I've mentioned this to you obviously in private about the whole Marvel thing in in general like and that how like Johnny smiles like when I say Marvel because he worries about what's going to come out of my mouth like I love it I like Marvel it's fine like I I've, I can't like we'll, we'll, he's like we're losing listeners every single time he mentions Marvel we're losing listeners like what I'm saying is like I think there's a discussion to be had about how is how has Marvel changed the audience like the consumer over the last sort of 10 years, like what is that consumer going to look like over the next like sort of 20, 30 years? Because that has been such a huge part of cinema and the audience expect a certain thing and they're still lapping it up now. When does it stop? When does it get boring? When does everyone, I mean, I'm bored. When does it, when does it fatigue everyone? When it starts making money, it's essentially what happened with, like we talked about phases in cinema. So you have Westerns or space operas or whatever. You know, when Star Wars came out, the reason Alien got commissioned was because of Star Wars. The reason Star Trek The Motion Picture got commissioned was because of Star Wars. You know, one film is successful. It leads to a lot of other imitations and things like that. And then eventually it's, it's like boom and bust. Eventually it gets to the point where it won't make the same amount of money and they'll have to go again. But I'm okay with that though. But the difference is with Marvel is uh, it's the idea of back in the day with a blockbuster it would be original idea and then you make the toys and market the hell out of it to make it a big deal yeah of, now, yeah, of course yeah you've and got now your figures it's backwards it's like you've got the ip 
you've got the audience already there, so you know you've got a core amount of money before you do anything. And come what may, the fans will go whether it's good or bad. And, you know, someone made that joke about um, about start um, when they were making Alien 3. Someone actually said, we could release a video of someone weeing up a wall for two hours, and the fans would still come and pay to see it if it had Alien 3 on the title. And it shows yeah. kind of like the disrespect of like whatever. But the point yeah, being that if it makes the money, they'll keep doing it. If it yeah. stops making the money, they won't do it. But because there's such an established brand with Disney and with Marvel, until it really falls off the edge of a cliff, and I just don't see it happening. But then nobody ever does. There will be the next trend. There'll be a massive thing, and then it will change. And you know that's that's how it works. Yeah. And I, and I, so the like in to play devil's advocate, the only thing like and to just finish off. Um, the only the only thing I would say about that, yeah, yeah, like yeah, there was westerns, but the westerns were made by lots of different directors. True. And the you say there's a space operas, the space operas were made by lots of different directors. There wasn't twenty two of them, like made by the same, like. And so so sorry, just before you all jumped down my throat, I'm aware that the Marvel universe they've got different directors. No, I but, am aware of that. But what you're what I'm saying trying is, to say it's is one universe was, rather than lots of different different. Elements. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, what, that, yeah what I'm saying is, like, yeah. The Star Wars universe, like we've still only got nine core films, like nine core films. That that that's all I'm saying. Like so, with the westerns and stuff, there was like, you have got the Man with No Name trilogy, but yeah. it, it, they, they but they they are but they are ten out of tens, like yeah. they are ten out of tens, like all three of them. Then they stopped. Like that's that's all I'm saying. So like I, I'm just I'm just I'd like to see I'd like to know the impact this is having on the audience now. How one dimensional is it? Are we missing out on like these amazing dramas that we like that people aren't shining much light on? So we've got like we, we'll cover them and we'll definitely cover them in future podcasts. Like, is it, we we've unfortunately in the UK we're not we're not we've not got it yet. But like films like The Sound of Metal, I'm absolutely desperate to see it because it's supposed to be amazing. That has not it's got a little bit of publicity, but it's going to get nowhere near the amount of publicity that whatever the last Marvel film was, and that's sad. But what I was going to say was, I think audience expect movies, escapism, big screen, wham bam, which you get from Star Wars and from Marvel. And I think the more dramatic stuff, like what you're talking about, the more low-key affairs, I think realistically, they see that on TV now. We're so blessed in an era of TV being so... Like, I, you know, we had a question come in, which was about what would you, what films would you want as a TV show and what TV shows would you want as a film? Now... 20 years ago, there'd be loads of TV shows I'd say, I want that to be a film for the production value. TV production value is so good now, I would find it very hard to say I want less time with the characters in a limited narrative for two hours. You know, what what am I going to get from it? So, for example, I think, and sorry, Jamie, it is Marvel, but Daredevil, I thought, was one of the best TV shows I watched in terms of showing me... uh, I used to read the Daredevil comics. We talked recently about, is it Bendis and, Bendis and Maldives? We talked about the two writers. Yeah, Brian Michael Bendis, yeah. And again, it's amazing run. There, it was a very similar story and, and the way it was depicted was how I pitched it when I read the comic. I loved it. And, you know, back in the day, I used to like the Daredevil film because that was all I had in 2003. That was the only thing I had. And oh I had yeah, Colin Farrell. Yeah. Colin Farrell, Ben yeah. Affleck. Back in the yeah. day, I loved it. Anyway, but the point is, you know, would I would I want a two hour version of that now? Probably not, because the production value was good enough for me to go into it. And some of the stories is better being slow burned. So you know, yeah. And and yeah. so that's an amazing segue actually into the second from last question. Yeah. And the second from last question is wrote in uh, from by friend of the show uh, Quinn. Um, you can find him on Instagram at Views by Quinn. 
And he says, what's a movie you'd like to see adapted into a show or vice versa, a show into a movie? So, Johnny, have you got have you got anything? Or was that was that your answer? Well, I was about to say I've got one for movies TV, but I just thought it would suit quite well. We talked on our first episode a long time ago about Dread. Now, I thought Dread was... Uh, oh, wow. So really, I haven't thought of that. Yeah, because, you know, Dread was like one tower block, but it worked really well because it was a day in the life. I can imagine that as a series. And the truth is, with how budgets are now, I don't see it being a problem. I really... I think Absolutely we, not, I think no. you could make that quite comfortably. But again, it's the thing we always talk about. Will it make enough money for them to justify the spend? Probably not. So it won't happen. But that's the only thing I can really think of from a movie to a tv to be completely honest but in terms of maybe the other thing i've talked about before and you're going to kill me because again it's a teen fiction thing but if you took harry (laughs) i'm not gonna kill you i love it if you took harry potter but you took away the main characters and you just said that year at hogwarts when people were dying because of the chamber of secrets do you know what i mean like from different perspectives and then i i've got all these controversial things like you know what happens is is there underage pregnancy at hogwarts in thing you know is is there a whole subplot hilarious jeremy kyle yeah jeremy kyle like so for american listeners jeremy kyle like i was like a little bit like like jerry uh, Jerry springer Springer. is there a whole subplot though where you know teachers are having to keep things under wraps because there's all these dodgy schemes going on are people you know are people selling drugs at hogwarts there could be all these crazy storylines of dealing with all these different things. I don't know. Maybe it's a crazy idea, but I've I've talked about it before. It's just like I think people would watch that, and if the, in the background we knew that Daniel Radcliffe and and Co are actually dealing with the main story, and we're not we're not messing with that, but we're just like kids who happen to be around at the time. That'd be yeah. quite a cool way of doing it. And with the footage they've got from the films, you know, like the Star Trek episodes when in Deep Space Nine they go back to the original series and they just kind of CGI them in because they're like green screened in. Yeah, brilliant. You, you could do stuff like that. It's just like, oh yeah, look, those kids are sat there at the table, even though they're not. And anyway, yeah. sorry. Enough. What about you? No, so uh, I mean, I've not picked any um, TV shows to film because I don't, I don't care really, like about about that. But I think I've got some bangers from film to TV show. Now, the first one I'm going to mention has kind of already been done, but it was done really badly, and that is Terminator. Mm. I would love to see Terminator done properly. Like, imagine, ter- like, not the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Imagine Terminator done properly with a proper cast and a proper budget, I think it would have the potential to be incredible. Can I just say just one word on Sarah Connor Chronicles? They had some good stories, but they didn't have the budget to back it up. But what I would say is some of the practical and special effects in that series for its time, because it's pre-big-budget pre TV, was amazing. Honestly, okay. like, I know what you're saying, and, and I agree. I think now if they did it, it would be far more like, what's the big show with um, uh, Westworld? They could, you know, with that budget, yeah, West you could Valley, do something yeah. so different. But yeah, I like that idea. I'd like to see the future war, though. I'm that guy. I like salvation. I would like it more in the future war. But okay, yeah, no, uh, yeah, no, I guess so. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd allow it. I'd have it. Right. So my next one is um, because it's one of my favorite comedies of all time. I'd love to see Superbad. Superbad with those characters. I'd love to see a TV show like a sitcom of Superbad, like weekly them. Him, them all go into class and just, yeah, getting into really funny situations. Just watch The American Inbetweeners. Same difference, right? The American Inbetweeners? Have you ever seen it? <laughs> so nope. Bad. And I, I bad it, like, I imagine it's horrendous because the British Inbetweeners is obviously incredible. I think, isn't British, British humour's a lot darker, isn't it? And it's a just, lot... it's, it's just, 
it's, I don't know. Yeah, it's dark, but it's just... It's like if you watch the American office, the English office, it's just completely different humour. But anyway. Yeah. And then, so for my final one, right? And I think this is probably the best one of the bunch. That's why I said it until last, right? But it's also maybe a little bit obvious as well. Picture this. Quentin Tarantino, Pulp Fiction TV show. No. You, you, like, why? What do you mean no? Because like, the whole reason why it that would works be amazing. so well. Yeah, but the structure works so well for that film. Mm. But then I was going to say, you know, I kind of just mean tra- Tarantino's writing in a TV okay. show as well. Like, yeah. it'd just be amazing. Like, I'd just love to see that. What about the Star Trek? But what I was going to say, Tarantino Star Trek, like we said. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm still up for that. But what I was going to say was something like Hateful Eight got a release on Netflix, where they turned it into a miniseries. They changed the, the yeah, yeah, they did they, they? Yeah, so Tarantino approved it. They changed it so rather than it being a film, it was like we'll cut it up in segments and break it up a bit, like what was we thought might happen with Justice League when it was like part one, part two, part three, part four. Right. Um, and we and there was a discussion about does this change the viewer's experience and like how do they retain the information or this stuff? So. Yeah, it's kind of... Is he dabbling with the idea of TV? I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? Have you seen that Margot Robbie said this week there's a 20-hour cut of of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I thought... Not interested. I'm not that keen. I mean, four hours is probably my limit now for for a film, but there we are. Uh, Like I've said before... I mean, I I was going to say at the beginning of the episode, this is probably our shortest ever runtime for two films because we've got a nice little... An hour 40 and then a nice little... 88 minutes films like as in like the lost boys and uh monster squad Uh, this is a quite a long episode though isn't it i was gonna say it's one of our longest episodes for two of our shortest films (laughs) well there you go then we have got another question to answer though we can't we're not gonna we, we we simply cannot avoid it so film forager definitely our biggest fan by a mile she actually wrote in, so we we asked, so we asked our fellow Americans, what do you call your bread? What do you call your bread? So Film Forager actually sent me a voice note and she, I have asked her for permission. So she says I could, uh, she said I could play it. Um, so this is her voice note of what they call bread. So here we go. I have to go to the grocery store today and get a loaf of bread <laughs> Johnny they call it a loaf of bread who knew I didn't like I, I can't believe it so <laughs> there you go everyone the the myth that no one every, every that it's been debunked this, film forager Chandra told us there's so many people wondering why have we what like what context is this for the context we were talking really randomly about how Robert De Niro was in a Warburton's advert and we were trying to establish whether he was in a Warburton's advert then Jamie said what do Americans call a loaf of bread and then for some reason like that's how it all started who knows whatever yeah well and and <laughs> thank so you for that though Chandra and then the last, she did, she's also written in a question and it's more of a joke question. She says, on a level, and you might get this, Johnny, first time, or I might have to explain it. She said, on a level of one to son of a bitch, how much do you love Kiefer Sutherland? So that reference I mean, is, uh, it's a 24 reference. Yes. I, and the thing is in 24, it's like the only swearing he can get away. Well, it's not really swearing. It's the only cursing he could get away with on network TV. And it's always, uh, it's either that or it's damn it. Like he's like, I need a medic, damn it! And he's just he's he's got like I love <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland acting traits. Essentially, he does a thing where he's always out of breath and he goes, 
used a lot of that. To, but I said, yeah. to, I said to Harriet, do you know what it is? In 24, obviously there's 24 episodes and they're nearly an hour long. He's got to keep the intensity because the whole way through he's trying to stop a bomb. So, But he films it in one take, doesn't he, as well? It's the idea he walks in. I'm joking, like, I'm joking. He, he just walks in he's like, okay, so we've got to do this. we got to do that. And there's lots of breathing. And then and then, then someone says like, oh, is everything okay? And it's like his daughter's like, oh, everything's fine, baby. Everything's fine. And then it's Alicia just, Cuthbert. Yes, his daughter. Yeah, yeah. There we go. One of my personal faves. Um, so, I mean, if that's available, allowed on network, we're also allowed to sit on the podcast, right? I mean, on James, a level of on a level of one to son of a bitch, how much do I love Kiefer Sutherland? I've got to say, son of a bitch, I love him. I love Kiefer Sutherland. I think he's absolutely brilliant. And my favorite role to end off the podcast, of course, is him in the Lost Boys. Do you know we need to? As much as I love our theme tune music, in my head. Like it sounds quite like the Lost Boys soundtrack our theme, doesn't it? It's that kind of. It's a bit more techno noir, but a bit I more, a bit, we're a bit more electro, aren't we? That's why, I, like, yeah. when when I when I tell you about my love for Drive and stuff and the guest, that's where like the I sent some uh, previews over to Johnny. Like, well, this is what I might, I might want the uh, the soundtrack to be. And I mean, I did ask one of my favourite bands, Gunship, if we could use one of their tracks, but they've still not got back to me because I think. They're ghosting me. Maybe it's a rights issue. I don't know. Uh, maybe we're not popular enough for them. I can almost certainly say it's the latter. But yeah, as per, that's the end of the episode. We were going to be here and we were going to tell you what the next episode is. Because Johnny said to me earlier on, oh, we really need to get the next episode down so we can tell the, the listeners. The truth is, and then that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> we didn't. So we're going to go away. We're going to collect ourselves. and yep. We're going to think about what the next episode is going to be. If you've got any burning desire for us to cover a film, as per usual, let us know. As per usual, go on your Apple iTunes, whatever it is. I'm not an Android user, so I don't. I'm an Android user. I don't. I don't know what you mean, but go on there and give us five star rating. We only accept five star ratings. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure covering one of my favorite films, and maybe probably one of my favorite directors now. I am. At movies in a nutshell, not movies in a pod shell on Instagram. We like to keep things confusing. <laughs> I am at movies in a nutshell on Instagram. Come and say hello. Come and drop me some questions for the next pod. Mm-hmm. As per usual, I'm, I'm always with Johnny. At Johnny, J- where? Oh, jumped oh, in the gun, are we? I did. You did. Go on, Johnny. Where are we? At jcv.video. At jcv.video on Instagram. It's been a pleasure as always. Johnny, any parting words? Uh, hope you enjoyed Lost Boys. Oh, I can't believe my own brother, a shit-sucking vampire. See you later.